does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Another gorgeous one on a Tuesday in Indianapolis. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the president of the company here at Query and Company, and Eddie Garrison uh, tenuously holding on to his reign as the CEO after getting appointed as CEO, then taking a week on vacation and coming back, and we are now in day two of uh, It was not even a week. Up, right? It was half a week, uh-huh. and it was paid leave, okay? Paid leave for market research. That's what I was doing. He he, oh. he needed some grieving time off for the hard work. Did you listen to Sports CEO. Talk Radio in Denver? Did not. What market research were you doing? I was doing research of the uh, the Denver area, Colorado Springs, to expand our offices. Okay. Um, were you so sampling anything during that market research? I did not research? sample okay, anything okay. other than some authentic Mexican. So, food. as the CEO of a producer at a radio program in a top 40 market you've decided with your aggressive expansion that we're going to venture our way into market 82 sure okay good vision yes someone's <laughs> got to have a vision around here that works well um he does have a point there when no one else has visions but him his vision is the best oh the i have visions believe you me <laughs> i have visions i have visions today that at two o'clock mike chapel's going to join us the dean of nfl writing and we will talk more about the colts the anthony richardson situation there's a lot going on Obviously, when it, in the course of an NFL season, one of the things that's always fascinated me and one of the things that I most enjoyed about the NBA and covering the NBA and notably the NBA playoffs, when, when I would cover the NBA playoffs, I always found it fascinating that in a seven-game series, any series, but, but for the most part, seven-game series, the Jimmy, each series, like you, you think to yourself, that's daunting to cover seven consecutive games, like in a eight day stretch or whatever back in those days. But it was always interesting to me because the series, the storylines would shift from one game to the next. There'd be like an obvious storyline in game three of like, you know, can the Pacers shut down this player? And then in game four, all of a sudden it was like, well, that player was shut down, but now the counterpunch is going to be this. And and series would take on a life of their own game by game with different storylines. And the NFL season is very similar to that. You can look back at the end of a year and think, what did we talk about for 17 straight weeks? 18 straight weeks, realistically. But then when you look at it like in the vacuum, in the moment, there's always a different story that percolates. And certainly for the Colts, the storyline would be that of Anthony Richardson and his health. Certainly for the Colts, the storyline would be that of Jonathan Taylor and his availability. But right now, it might also be Jonathan Taylor and his marketability. Because I thought something really interesting happened last night. And I thought it was interesting because I thought it related to the Colts. We'll begin with this, Jimmy. Did you watch either Monday Night Game last night or did you flip back and forth between both? Or neither. I did watch most of the Brown Steelers game and caught the back half of the 
opener, which for some reason I can't remember what it was because I was doing a soccer broadcast last night. But I, I was oh, who'd pri- you have last uh, night? Uh, last night well, was Carolina and New Orleans. But yeah, it was Carolina and New Orleans uh, last night. It was Burbuff and Part Tudor Girls. Shout out to Coach Angela Barry White and the Braves. They're moving on in the Marion County Tournament. So that was the game. That's uh, Eddie White's wife. It right? is. Yes, I caught uh, most of the second half of Saints and Panthers, and then caught pretty much the majority of brown steelers uh saint actually saints and panthers very similar to the soccer match that you saw lots of kicking yes right? indeed no, no touchdowns <laughs> so. plenty of field goals right or not but, you know for yeah. the most part yep. um neither of those games was overly sexy neither of those teams none of those four teams probably are going to be major storylines throughout the course of the season maybe new orleans a little bit i mean they're off to a decent start i've always thought Derek carr's a pretty good quarterback as have i yeah but the, the the bigger thing would be the injury of Nick Chubb is obviously a big storyline, right? Mm-hmm. And so with that injury, the immediate knee-jerk reaction in terms of localizing the story. Everything's about localizing the story, right? There's a bear running around at Disney World. Local TV stations are like, can you find somebody who's been to Disney World in the last five years? And if not, can you find somebody that's been to a bear petting zoo and have them on the news? Everything's about localizing the story. One of the two. I haven't been to the bear petting zoo, fortunately. You have? Sorry. I've not been to the bear petting zoo, but I've done one of those two scenarios you played out. You've been to Disney World? Been to Disney World in the last five years, yep. Did you go to the, like the, you see, strike me as the kind that would have gone to the Harry Potter world. That's not Disney World. That's Universal. But yes, you're on brand for aren't me. I'm same, proud of you. Aren't they the same thing? They are not, no. Are they the same people? No. They're not owned by the same people? No. Are they both in Orlando? Yes. Okay. Two different parks. They're not on the same property? No. Universal has Harry Potter. Can you get a ticket that gets you to both? No. Are you sure? Correct. I am sure. Okay. Did you get a butterbeer? I did get a butterbeer. I had had, had multiple butterbeers. That was was two years ago, though, but yes. That's not good for you, right? No. No. Very high in sugar. But not alcohol? No. No. So it's no different than going to the Dunkin' and getting one of those 1,600 grams of sugar cafe drinks identical yeah so last night nick chubb has a terrible injury for the cleveland browns um it was very similar to willis mcgahee it was a sideways version of napoleon kaufman we all know i mean there have been devastating knee injuries that we've seen and immediately the reaction is are the colts going to be on the phone with the cleveland browns there's a history of trading running backs between the colts and the cleveland browns the shoe was on the other foot a few years ago when Vic Ballard got hurt. Indianapolis was in need of a running back. And I will forever go, I will forever believe this. This worked out well, if I remember correctly, right? For all parties involved. This was the first introduction we've had to Jim Mercer's Twitter account <laughs> getting involved with the Colts personnel. Because when Vic Ballard got hurt, Jim Mercer took to Twitter Griggs is wheeling and dealing. <laughs> Here comes the whopper. Griggs is going to get a running back. Calm down, Colt Nation. And so later we found out that Cleveland was the one that initiated contact. Now, I am convinced and will forever be convinced, Jimmy, that what happened in that situation was Vic Bala got hurt. And Ryan Gr- Jim Irsay is publicly throwing out there that the Colts need a running back. And so, in that capacity, Cleveland, we now know Cleveland initiated contact. Cleveland reached out to the Colts and reached out to, to Ryan Griggs, and I believe, and said, listen, 
your quarterback or, or your owner has thrown it out there that you need a running back. Remember the good old days when first round picks were the standards for for running backs? Yeah, right. And he, <laughs> you know, here and here he was. Hey, do you want you want a guy? We got a guy for you. You're listen. We know you're in the market because your owners told the whole world you got no choice now. And so they make the deal and they bring in Trent Richardson. And we know now that you know that obviously. I don't blame Ryan Grigson for that move. I really don't. I never have because I, I think that was largely precipitated by the actions of his and the aggressiveness of his owner. But all of that to be said, now you have a situation where Cleveland, Nick Chubb gets hurt, and so the thought process is, is Jonathan Taylor Cleveland's answer? I have been so fascinated, Jimmy, by this fact over this story, and this is to me what is so intriguing about the Jonathan Taylor storyline. There's fact on both sides. There's legitimate point on both sides. And one could make the argument that Nick Chubb's injury, if you are Jonathan Taylor, further escalates his value. Because Jonathan Taylor, if you are his, if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're jumping up and down and you're saying, see, this is why I want my money now. This is why I wanted an extension. This is why I wanted a guarantee. And this is what I, why I wanted security for not only what I provided this franchise, but also for what I can provide. I wondered if we were going to get there, because at first I thought you were just angling for the fact that his trade value increases, which is also true. But I'm totally with you on this. And we didn't talk about it yesterday because we didn't have time. But that same sentiment was elevated slightly when a fellow running back that was trying to fight for money this offseason in Sa- Saquon Barkley signed a tag, decided to play on it for a minor increase in incentives, hurt his ankle, might miss a couple games. That that same sentiment stays there. Which fuels the other side. It adds value to Jonathan Taylor's reasoning for wanting to get paid now. Yep. It adds value potentially to Jonathan Taylor's place on the market because there are going to be a number of teams, an escalating number of teams, in need of a running back. But it also, Jimmy, 100% validates Indianapolis's pause of investing a lot of money into a position that already now off a track record within this season alone is proving a volatility of service of player. If you are Indianapolis, you're thinking to yourself, if you're if you're Chris Ballard, you're Jim Mercer, you're thinking to yourself, why do I want to give this amount of money to a position that is shown to be an extremely volatile and fragile one because there's no guarantee that I'm going to get 15 games out of the guy. Having nothing, and I don't care whether you're talking about Jonathan Taylor or Christian Okoye or Adrian Peterson. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter the player, it's the position itself. Yes. The position has shown already to just be one of where the players are incredibly susceptible to injury. So that would give Indianapolis pause to tie big money into that. But it also is a position that is susceptible to injury, which gives Jonathan Taylor pause in accepting anything other than guaranteed money up front on his extension. So the thing that actually fuels Indianapolis's managerial standpoint is the same thing that fuels Jonathan Taylor's financial investment interest standpoint. That's what's fascinating to me. Literally, there are so few stories in sports we, we don't have, like, we so despise ties in sports <laughs> that we do two things to avoid them. 
We call them kissing your sister, which is horrific, right? Yep. And then we resort to penalty kicks and penalty shots and like literally the equivalent of layup contests. Have you seen one of those avoid in person, a tie. by the way? Um, like high stakes, not like like college or above. No, not in person. No. Finally well, saw one in person. I mean, in hockey, yes. Okay. Not not in soccer. Finally saw one in person last month when it was Messi and Inter Miami and FC Cincinnati. Like I'm I'm against ties as much as the next guy, but like get your adrenaline going. Like it's it's, now, it's now, exciting. We're on a different we're on a different segue here, so let's Sure. I'm gonna write down what we're talking about. Okay. Um but I will say this, I've always said this. Hockey and soccer both. I don't like you just play. Why do they not just play another overtime? I know the narrative is, well, because everybody would get too tired. Great. Which means that that fatigue level is going to increase the odds that one team is going to take advantage of that over the other and score the team in the better physical conditioning or better adept to playing in those adverse situations would win the game. I would think at some point player safety comes into account. That's my only thought. Like I don't to be clear. I'm good either way. Like, it's fine. For most people, that's not the line of demarcation for if they like soccer or not. There's other reasons, and I don't want to take us down that path. I understand the physical rigors of soccer, but I mean, basketball, they play seven overtimes. Sure. And you're jumping, and you're leaping, and you know, I mean, what I'm saying is, I don't disagree that it would be incredibly physically exerting. College football's done it now, too. Eventually, got to go for two. Like, that's it. Like, Like, I know it would be incredibly physically exerting, but eventually that physical challenge and demand that is placed on a team would be the reason that one of them would not be able to hold yes. on. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, a, it's a battle of wills. Who's going to outlast like I was in, sure. I, I was in Toronto, and on Dundas Square in Toronto, they had like one of these street performers. And his thing, he had a, a bar set up. And literally it was, if anybody can hang, just freely hang from this bar for 60 seconds, you get $100. You had to pay five bucks to do it. I, I didn't see anybody go more than like 18 seconds. So eventually your hands just give out and you give way. In a soccer overtime, eventually one of the two teams, their hands are going to give out. Yeah. But what I'm saying is in sports, we do everything we can to avoid a tie. Correct. And what's fascinating about the Jonathan Taylor situation, as we saw last night in the Nick Chubb injury, is there is evidence that, in fact, in this standoff, it's a tie. Literally, it's a tie. If, if, if we were a – this is why you'd need like seven people on the jury. Because if this was a six-person jury – Three of them are voting for Chris Ballard. Three of them are voting for Jonathan Taylor. And you literally have a hung jury because they'd be like, no, I'm, I'm t- I, I know the player's right. And then the other person's like, no, 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 I'm telling you, the organization's right. Standoff. And that's that's just where it is, right? This goes back to the fault in my mind, fair or not, of both the owners but also the NFL Players Association. And I said this during the summertime. The Players Association dealt with and tried to battle with the Le'Veon Bell fiasco from five years ago and tried to fight for his right as a player and crying foul that he's going to be tagged consecutive years and all that. And he sits out the whole year and it doesn't work out for him. He gets money, sure, but he's never really the same player. That was before the last collective bargaining agreement went down. It was never, at least reportedly, never a point of contention in those meetings Never a point of, hey, look what look what's happening to our running backs. When you address this issue, they're getting taken advantage of. And you could already start to see just on franchise tags alone where the money gap was over a certain span of wide receivers to running backs. It used to be two to four million dollars apart. 
Nowadays, it's about seven to ten million dollars of what you would earn as a tagged player at those two positions. So the disparity's always been there, and it's unfortunate. But we can call it a tie if we want to. The teams still hold the cards. It's like baseball. I know that's an old saying, but tie goes to the runner, right? That, that, that's basically what it is with the owners. They're going to win here because they have all the power. And for the Players Association, it needs to be at the top of your manifesto for seven years from now. When you're looking ahead at the next collective bargaining agreement, this needs to be a major talking point that you're going to the table for against the owners to try to earn for your running backs. And if it's not... If the Players Association either can't get it done the next cycle, which again is nearly a decade from now, A, running backs will understand where their standing is amongst their own Players Association, and B, it will tell the world where we are with the running back position in the modern NFL. Because it was a missed opportunity the last CBA for them to address it. They can't do anything about it now, and it's going to be a seven-year wait-out process of situations like this of the next Jonathan Taylor or the next Saquon Barkley that are trying to fight for what they feel like is a deserved extension for them at a position that no one's willing to pay anymore. And that's just the reality they face. Like there's no, there's no out here. Like maybe it works out for Jonathan Taylor and the Browns decide, yeah, you know what? We're going to trade for JT and we'll also give him an extension too. They might look at it now with even more apprehensiveness because they paid Chubb already. Like it's just it's a it's a lose lose situation for that position and there's there's no out here. Of course, the other side of it is you could have a quarterback that you also get aggressive and overpay, and that handcuffs you for a long time. And it looks like it's still early, granted, but it looks like that's going to be the case with Cleveland, right? Because Cleveland, that's the other thing is like Nick Chubb. When people are like, "Well, Cleveland now has got to go out and get a running back," Cleveland doesn't have assets to give up in the future because they gave a lot of them up. Yeah in different deals that they've done and including, you know, financially speaking, would they give Deshaun Watson $230 million? Yeah. I mean, like, Watson last night, you know, at times showed flashes, but, I mean, listen, you when you've got a – and granted, an Indianapolis native, but you got a rookie that's making his NFL debut and he's trying to block T.J. Watt. <laughs> it's a I tall mean, task. <laughs> It's difficult, right? Uh, Eddie, did you say we had that ready, by the way? Uh, here we go, by the way. Now, you know what that means on the company, don't you hear? It means we've got some breaking news. That's right. We do have breaking news. Uh, the breaking news that I have for you, Jimmy Cook, I thought I'd let you know, is that Dr. Motman received your Paps Blue Ribbon. Yes. Uh, Dr. Motman has texted me confirmation of the delivery of the Paps Blue Ribbon, which I did take yesterday, and had the following to say. Are you ready? Yes. Wow, the tall boys, too. Now, that's a good man. <laughs> Later went on to say, and I quote, Admittedly, the cost of that beer not, might not have been worth the gas money driving all the way to bring it to me, but I placed them, by the way, in his mailbox. Um, I will drink one of these tall boys for each Lions game for a nice 6-0 and run. <laughs> now, I looked at it, and, and the Lions, the only place where I could find a potential 6-0 and run for the Detroit Lions begins on november 19th because this these six uh eddie you're a degenerate gambler right i wouldn't say a degenerate gambler but i am a gambler yes well but i mean you've been noted to to bet on like korean league baseball no, right no i actually never partake uh partake partook neither did i by the way partaken, partaken yeah Part- partook i think 
Jake, you're the wordsmith of us. See, you can't even say par without it going to parlay. That's what was going in the mind, right? <laughs> no, the entire yeah, time. Sure, you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, parlay, uh-huh, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Here we go. Here are the six games that I think the Detroit Lions could get their six-game six game Dr. Mottman winning streak. November 19th, the following six games. You tell me if you think Detroit could win these six in a row. The Bears at home. The Packers at home. At New Orleans. At Chicago. Denver at home. At Minnesota. Yeah, I could see it. I can as well. I, I was, New, or, New Orleans would be the only one because I feel like that defense would be able to. Why? Why is there? Why is there? Are you a, okay over there? Why is there a running fan at my feet? Do we know yet? Oh, um, I don't know. What, what's going on here? Are the morning kids getting? I think uh, their, An- I think Andy gets sweaty warm? feet in the mornings with having to work with KB. <laughs> is that a known symptom? Does, by the way, does he know his name's Kevin? <laughs> Have you noticed that? Um. Uh, did you ever have that issue when working with Kevin? That your feet got sweaty? Is that a no. common diagnostic? Okay, no. Right. But but then again, I mean, I don't know. I just there's a there's a full fan right. I could have. I actually could have lost a toe right there. Do you realize <laughs> the danger on? in this? Was it on? I don't know. I think I unplugged it. Like, do you realize the danger in this? Somebody needs to tell me about these things, right? Does that fall underneath the CEO or the president? I don't know. I understand. Well, that actually would go to our HR department if we had one. <laughs> we need an OSHA. Can we get an OSHA department for the company? Two three nine ten seventy. If anybody out there works in in like uh, OSHA or workman comp related issues, we could use them in the company. So far in the company, Eddie, we have what covered? We have you as the CEO, right? Yes. Continuously. We have uh, Jimmy, who is the president. Hello. Okay. We have the director of veteran affairs. That's Derek. Yes. We have Paul, who is um, the uh, he is the deliverer of giddiness, right? Yes. Uh, uh, we have, uh, when I was in Fishers, I went to a new place on Friday night called, I think it's called, is it King Jug Brewing? It's like brand new. Cool place. Guy comes up to me, I believe he said his name was Chris, and he said, I want to be the director of Old Man Social Affairs. Bingo, hired. Now, I'd like to think that that's actually a category I could do, but but he's hired He's hired right there. You're also apparently official record keeper along with chairman of the board. Well, we have... Did you say chairman of the board is my title, right? Yes. We also have uh, the only four females that we know that listen to the program. All four are in the finance department. Well, that's we not have, true. I thought um, Gritty was in like logistics with Matthew. That's right. Matthew is in logistics. That's correct. I thought um, Gritty said she would join... Matthew oh, really? Logistics. I can't remember what Gritty said. So we have dueling logistics. Well, we only have four female listeners. I don't know. How hard can uh, we had, keep we had somebody call who's a UPS driver, and he said that he would be our delivery. That's right. For when we get merch. <laughs> when we get merch. Yeah. We do have a director of merchandising, my friend Brian Kelly. There you go. He's the director of merchandising. We still need social media. I don't think that was ever established or decided on. Um. We have several. Open Matt Taylor's our, spo- our Matt Taylor's our spokesperson, right? Uh, Stephen Holder is official shareholder. Correct. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we've got like another week of of being able to hire people. Uh, Gritty did say she was finance. And, and then we've got to obviously move along to another uh, subject of the show, like like the genie naming the genie, which was very popular. But there's a lot to talk about today, including that situation uh, with the Colts, and you know, again, the Nick Chubb thing. I just think is interesting because it does illuminate a little bit. The the duality, if, if that's a word, for the siding of the Colts with the Taylor situation and where he is now. And it does seem like the tea leaves are starting to, to turn that perhaps he would be, in fact, somebody that they're still planning on utilizing and, and having in the fold. But would Jonathan Taylor want to do that is another big question mark. We'll look into Anthony Richardson's 
uh, health status as well. And then another topic that we need to get to today, Jimmy, is that of an unhappy former camper. How's that? That's somebody, a great tease. Somebody that used to pitch their tent in the Indianapolis area and now all of a sudden has decided that it's not, it's not the fact that there's still nobody in Champs downtown. It's not the fact that like Monument Circle now at lunchtime is fairly deserted. It's not that the no fact one has that filled the Scotty's brew house space. Or um Rock Bottom. Yeah. Or what's the Pimenti Brothers, is that what the name of the joint was? Yeah. Or, I mean, you could go on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it, it's like 1984 before the mall came and Bill Hudnut had the holes all over Marion Scotty's County. Brewhouse, yeah. He just said Scotty's, yeah. I mean, there's several of them, right? It's not those things about Indianapolis that has one person who used to pitch their tent here unhappy. It's none of those things. It's not the billion-dollar soccer complex that we're spending. None of that. None of that's in play. There is a reason why somebody who used to live here is unhappy with our fair city. We'll tell you what that is, and we'll actually come up with a possible solution for them. And Mike Chappell at 2 o'clock. You're listening to Quarry Company here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy, you like Buddy Heald, right? Yes, I like Buddy Heald. I think most people like Buddy Heald. Uh, you know who really likes Buddy Heald? Who's that? His teammates. Um, I'm not in the locker room, but it does seem as though – I mean, I, I go to a lot of Pacer games. I watch – one of the things I enjoy watching when I when I go to Pacer games is a lot of times I'm not even watching necessarily the game. I watch – at the scores table, I watch the players when they check in and check out of the lineup and the way that they're greeted by their teammates, number one, but also the way they greet the people at the scores table and like the ball boys and that kind of thing. And a lot of times I can tell you a lot about a player's like leadership. You know, people could talk about, and this is a lightning rod, I realize, LeBron James all they want. But I watch LeBron James and like LeBron James when he, you can often tell the most about a person based on how they treat, not the people that are expected to treat well, but rather the ones that most people wouldn't notice. And when they're good to those people, you think to yourself, okay, that guy like kind of gets it. And, you know, Buddy Heald is definitely that way. I mean, he's, he is open and gregarious to everybody, but but he appears to be somebody that his teammates enjoy being around, and he has an infectious personality. So when he was traded to Indiana, he number seven was being worn by Malcolm Brogdon. So he opted for number 24, which was the jersey that he wore in Sacramento at the time that he was traded here. But seven was the number that you know he has worn and wanted. He wore 24, then George Hill came here. Hill wore seven briefly. But now Buddy Heald, who appears to be more rooted in Indianapolis, at least one would assume he's going to be here a little bit longer, is switching to number seven. And Jermaine O'Neal is unhappy about it. Oh. So Jermaine O'Neal, who I think you could make the case. I remember when Jermaine O'Neal, when the Pacers traded for Jermaine O'Neal. They traded Dale Davis to Portland for Jermaine O'Neal, who had not really gotten off the bench as a young player with the Blazers. And it was like, whoa, really? And that was a visionary move. And it was one that I think Donnie Walsh gets a lot of credit for the fact that he was able to transition from 
the Reggie Miller, Rick Smith's Davis Brothers Pacers into the new form of Pacers of Jermaine and Al Harrington and Tensley and that group and did so relatively seamlessly. There was not a lot of growing pain for that group. It was a, a pretty quick transition from one to the next. But Jermaine O'Neal was here for eight seasons, war number seven, was a very good player. But with the change of Buddy Heald to jersey number seven, Jermaine O'Neal had the following to say, quote, I love Buddy and the work that he puts in. My statement has nothing to do with him. Jermaine obviously going to the Jake Quarry School of Open Disclaimers. No problem with that. Continuing, quote, quote, It is disappointing to watch teams every year recognize and celebrate the players who have been the franchise's very best players on and off the court, but yet Pacers don't. It's been confusing and disappointing, to say the least, end quote. Now, I remember when Jermaine O'Neal played here, and I covered the entirety of his career here, he was always a good guy. He was always a good citizen, less the brawl, which I think we now know. You know, he's been exonerated a little bit, I think, in his role of that, and there's a, a certainly the element of like loyalty and, and that kind of thing of standing up for his teammates. He was a wonderful talent. And he had as much individualized accolade and, you know, benchmark of statistics, etc., as any player not named Reggie Miller really to play here from an NBA standpoint. Now, ABA, obviously you have Roger Brown. ABA, obviously you have you know, Mel Daniels. ABA, obviously you have you know George McGinnis. I mean, great players. But from an NBA standpoint, Jermaine O'Neal was a great player. But later in his career, Jimmy, when he was here, even after the brawl, and there was a lot of injury that he battled through, and he missed a lot of games in the later part of his years here, and I think people got a little bit fatigued by it. And he did seem to be a guy that sulked. Again, I think a lot of his angst was later exonerated. He was exonerated for. I think people realized there was a lot going on that Jermaine O'Neal was given focus towards or blamed towards that maybe wasn't always his fault. But he was a very good player. A great player for a couple of years for the Pacers. But I think the thing that the Pacers have always prided themselves on. You ever been to Boston Garden or TD Garden now in Boston? No, I've not yet. You've been to Montreal to a Canadiens game? I mean, I have not to that. No. I've only been to Boston. Uh, I covered I covered the Celtics Pacers playoff series, Reggie Miller's final year. Uh, that was the year, by the way, that at about 2 o'clock in the morning, a guy walked into my hotel room with his roller suitcase. The only time in my life I forgot to lock the room from the inside. And this guy walked in in a British accent and goes, uh, excuse me, I believe you're in my room. And I said, clearly, clearly, I think you walked into mine. So uh, all I know is his, his last name was Stenson because I started getting his wake-up calls at like 6 in the morning. Mr. Stenson, is your wake-up call? Yeah, no, that was the guy that you erroneously gave the room to after me. And then I ended up getting a free weekend in Boston, which I never took advantage of, but they felt bad about it. But the Boston Garden, you go in there, and and literally, Jimmy, every number one to 99 is retired. Not literally, but I think they have 24 different jersey numbers retired. I understand Jermaine O'Neal's beef, but late in his career, he used to talk all the time. He was almost obsessed is the wrong word. But even while he was playing here, I remember him late in his career saying, I want the day to come where they're hanging my jersey from the rafters here. 
And I think people were like, wait, what? Good player, but like he didn't have the civic connection that oftentimes – I think sometimes players – every city has, Jimmy, a guy that – every city has a player that is beloved by the fan base and is a face of the franchise in that city that people outside of that city and outside of that franchise would be stunned to know they're a beloved figure. In St. Louis, it was Willie McGee. You go to St. Louis and you mention Bob Gibson and people are like, yeah, he's okay, but my favorite player is Willie McGee. Wait, what? Likewise, every franchise has a player that outside market people would assume is a major beloved superstar, but within the market people are like, yeah, I mean, he was cool, but not my favorite. And I think Jermaine is that latter. Like in Kansas City, okay, you're a Chiefs fan, right? When you go to Kansas City, like I think people assume, like Derek Thomas is a is, is a beloved figure there, right? Yes. Partially because of the fact he passed, and, you know, but I mean he's a beloved he, figure. And he, he was a dominant player, and he was beloved. Yes. But there, but there are probably other players that people would be surprised to know how beloved they were or are in Kansas City. But in Kansas City, it's like if you beloved that player, that means you get it, right? Yes. Like Joe Delaney is probably yes. that guy. Yes. Right? Most definitely. Or, you know, I'm trying to think of, of who else. Maybe, even, I mean, I don't even know, like, not a Steve DeBerg, but like somebody like that, right? That <laughs> sure. like is more popular there than people would realize. Then likewise, there are probably, and I don't know who it would be, but there are probably some Chiefs players that we assume are beloved there that people there are like, yeah, I mean, he was okay. Montana might be that, right? We assume that like Joe Montana is this beloved figure there. In Kansas City, people might be like, it was fun for like two years, but he was just here. He's a niner. You know what I mean? So Jermaine O'Neal, I think, is that guy to an extent for Indiana. People would assume that he's like in our upper echelon. But I think the Pacers have always taken kind of a pride in a different approach to that Jersey retirement procedure. And they're like, we're not going to be Boston and retire everybody's. I mean, Boston's like Oprah Winfrey. Like your jersey's retired and your jersey's, but they have a lot, a ton of great players. I get it. And the other, there's two, always been two underlying factors for me to get a jersey retired. Either you were a significant contributor or a part of championship teams, and that elevates your candidacy to a point of, oh, that guy might get his jersey retired. Or, like you pointed out earlier, you were the face of the franchise during an era where you were not only that face of the franchise, but a clear cut face of the league. That's Reggie. Like that 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 is Reggie to a T. I mean, obviously he's the when you think of at least of my generation of Pacers fans, and you think of who's the most well known Pacer that's played for them, it's Reggie Miller. Now I'm not saying that other Pacer historians might push back on that, that's fine, but Reggie was the face of that era, of my childhood, of people that are a little older than me's childhoods. That makes sense that he would represent them and be the honoree that has his jersey retired. If the Pacers had won some championships during that run, there's more cachet to maybe O'Neal gets in. And yes, Boston overdoes it, but you look around the league, and I was just looking at retired numbers around the league, a lot of them are those two criteria. Either they were culturally significant to the place they played, or they won a title. And Jermaine didn't do either of those things. Would you put Granger right there with Jermaine or just below? I'd retire O'Neal before Granger. Well, yes. If that's what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, just below. I w- here's the thing. Granger was a great player, but he has the misfortune of 
playing on teams that people didn't realize how good he was. You know what I mean? Um, so I think Jermaine was a better – it's a good question, Eddie, because I think they're kind of in the same mix. But I think Jermaine – I think Jermaine was perceived as a better player by fans as Danny Granger. But Danny Granger actually might have been I – mean, I mean, Danny Granger was a really good player. Yeah. But Granger kind of fits into my proverbial um, 2025 guy. Even though that wasn't his case here, I've always said 2025 guys, Ricky Davis is my poster child of 2025 players. This is a Jake Quarry made-up term. Guys that are destined to average 20 a game on 25-win teams. And Danny Granger kind of stereotypically falls into that category. Now, as for superstars, I mean, I can tell you, growing up in this town, the two things that were surreal to me, number one was the – Indianapolis Colts get Eric Dickerson because Dickerson was the I mean the Colts were first of it was weird that we had an NFL team to begin with because you were just getting used to that and then all of a sudden to to look up and realize that they have one of the elite players probably the most elite the sexiest player in the league from a football standpoint Eric Dickerson playing for the Indianapolis Colts very surreal and then Reggie Miller I got into a furious debate with somebody once about the level of superstardom of Reggie Miller and I'm like, he was absolutely a superstar. Well, define it. I mean, he didn't win anything. I'm like, but he he transcended basketball into pop culture, as exhibited by this. Eddie, can you fire up my computer? This is one of those little uh, gimmicks the morning kids came up with where we figured out that my computer can play on the air. Do you know how to do that? Okay, here we go. Uh, this this was a very surreal moment. Hey, I thought you went to the game. Nah, I was kicked out for fighting with one of the players. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Reggie Miller. Cheryl Miller's brother? Yeah. Hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. What happened? Well, first of all, for some well, see, reason, they you know started how weird the game this was? late. To, like, be sitting in Indianapolis. Well, I was sitting next to Spike Lee, and he and Reggie were jawing at each other, so I guess I got involved. I mean, Kramer on Seinfeld's getting in fights with Reggie Miller and Spike <laughs> Lee, and, and you're watching it in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you're like, wait a minute. Like, until two years ago, the rest of the country didn't even know that we had an NBA franchise. They knew about the ABA franchise, but not the NBA franchise. So I think that those core players from that group and that era that, that catapulted Reggie Miller and Reggie Miller catapulted the, the franchise, those are the players. If you were going to retire jerseys, and this is like admittedly like almost lame middle of June sports talk radio topics, but because Jermaine O'Neal brought it up, if the Pacers were going to take more liberty at retiring numbers, and for what it's worth, they do have numbers that are retired, Okay. The Indiana Pacers have retired the numbers of those players that are in the Hall of Fame. Reggie Miller, retired. Roger Brown, retired. George McGinnis, retired. Some of those, again, ABA players. Mel Daniels, retired. So three ABA and an NBA. George McGinnis played in the NBA as well, but you get what I'm saying. From an NBA standpoint, if the Pacers decided that they were going to retire numbers, I believe personally that there are probably two players and maybe three at minimum that go in front of Jermaine O'Neal. Would you like to guess? I'll throw out one. I would say Rick Smith. That would be one. In no particular order. That would be one, yes. Dale Davis. Okay. Interesting name. Give me one more. You probably won't guess my third. 
I'm just going to throw. I know this isn't able. Mark Jackson. Okay, that's not a terrible guess. Um, and certainly a, a case could be made for that, Jimmy, and probably above the player I'm about to mention. I would put in, if I were going to, re- if they came to me, and they're not going to, but if they came to me and said, we're going to retire numbers, who should we retire? Clark Kellogg merits consideration. But his, unfortunately, his career was ended due to the knee injuries. He was a great player. Paul George merits consideration because he was an all-NBA level player here, but the way it ended yeah. changes that consideration. To bed. Okay? Rick Smith's is one. Because he was a really good player on their very good teams. The second one, you mentioned Dale Davis. Now, I'm going to agree with you, and I'll tell you why. The guy that put those teams together, the architect and the vision of those great Pacers teams, was Donnie Walsh, who was the general manager and then later president of the team. And one time in conversation, in a group conversation, albeit, Dale Davis's name came up. And Donnie Walsh said, that's the single most important player I ever acquired. Now, obviously, Reggie Miller would be that answer. But he was the missing piece for them. And as he said it, we knew what we wanted to do with Reggie in terms of getting Reggie to be a great scorer. But people would always mess with us. I'm I'm paraphrasing. People would always mess with us. And, And Reggie, they would elbow him and they would hold him and scratch him and claw him and foul him. And we couldn't do anything. Then we got Dale Davis, and we had Dale Davis not only setting screens but setting a tone, and now guess what? Nobody messed with us anymore, and now we could do what we wanted to do. He was a really critically important piece for them, not just once but twice, though, because when they did the transition to the next era of young players, then he he also was kind of a guiding force for that once they acquired him back. So Dale Davis would be my second. And the third, which is kind of one of those hashtag if you know you knows, the guy that – go ahead, Eddie. It's on the tip of your tongue, I can tell. I was going to say Ron Artest, just uh, as a random name out there. Artest is a great player, no doubt about it. I think Artest would be difficult to sell just because of the – you know, obviously everything that went down. Fabulous player, though. One could make the argument that Artest – and it wasn't even the brawl. Artest cost the Pacers a title, not even the brawl year, because let's, let's give him a pass there. Um, but I think that for Artest – the year before, when they were in the Eastern Conference Finals and he missed the team flight, and then he went there and he was out of sorts and he ended up getting a technical foul for hitting Richard Hamilton where it matters most, and that cost him that game, and then the season was ended. Artest was a great player, but he was too unreliable. That that would be my only problem with Artest. The third one is probably going to surprise people, but it's hashtag if you know, you know, and I'll tell you who it is next. Arr! Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's National Talk Like a Pirate Day, Jimmy. You know this, all right? <laughs> that means you're Captain Cook, right? Indeed. Do you know a pirate's favorite letter of the alphabet? I, sorry, I should have. Is that it, too? No. All right. Do you know what it is? Arr. Arr. No, it's a C. Ah. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, he was just crossing them off the list. We went with yeah. I, we went with R, and then he do you know, went to Do you C. know who he roots for in the Indy 500? 
gosh. Who? Harry Lion Dyke. Okay. okay. <laughs> now, you know, I do a fabulous pirate. But the, my two favorite days, and then I'm going to pay off the tease, as the kids say, by telling you my third pacer. My, my favorite days, though, of the year, national, and, and, and let me tell you something. We've done exhaustive market research about this, right? We even have a meeting on Tuesday about market research that's come back about the station. And one of the things they tell me, and kids in particular love it, the, the two favorite days where my my approval rating has never been higher, mm-hmm. National Talk Like a Pirate Day, because I talk like such a good pirate, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then St. Patrick's Day, because I do an incredible leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you. Like, you can make cereals out of the, out of the voices. Know, he's a man of many talents, Jimmy. We, you, you will learn that. F- Chairman of the board over here. I know. Do you, do you know your title again, Eddie? Yeah, I'm CEO, yes. No, it's a CEO. Uh, no, you don't, don't. You won't catch me doing a pirate. Why not? It's just not, not my style. That's all you. Well, you know what? We'd replace I, you. I can't. You, you know, know what? what happens if we replace you because you refuse to talk like a pirate? You know, I'm, I would I'm give you the to, hook. I was about to say. Make you, you walk make the me, plank. I was going to say walk, that. Make me walk the plank, yeah. By the way. My third pacer to be retired in terms of a jersey number, because this guy was in a draft that was a woulda, coulda draft for the Pacers, because the Pacers traded originally their first-round pick in the 84 draft. They traded to the Portland Trailblazers for Tom Owens. And then in 84, the, the number two overall pick Portland used to take Sam Bowie, but they could have taken a guard out of North Carolina who went third to the Bulls. Talking about Jordan, obviously, right? So the Pacers could have had Jordan with that pick in 84, but instead they fell back. They were in the middle of of, – somehow they traded back into the first round. They had, I think, the 16th pick overall. Close. And – 18. 18, okay. And they took a guy that – had played as a sophomore, either a sophomore or a freshman, because I can't remember if he went all four years at Georgia. But a really good player out of New York City originally. And just a solid player for his entire career. He played his entire career in Indiana. He, It does hurt me because in Game 6 of the 94 Eastern Conference Finals, he had a layup that would have probably put the game away and potentially closed the series for the Pacers, and he... he got stifled, but was just a steady player and I thought the consummate professional and joined the franchise when they were in the doldrums and stayed with them until their glory years and was just a guiding force and a leader through all of it and played his entire NBA career without a technical foul, which is an NBA record for most games played without a technical foul. He didn't even get one. Uh, Maybe he couldn't swear because he had no teeth, but when his teeth were knocked out, when he drove to the lane and got hit by Shaquille O'Neal, Vern Fleming is the guy that I would actually retire his number. Not necessarily because he was an overly flashy or accomplished and accoladed player, but rather because I think he just simply represented what any franchise would want in terms of professional stability for the totality of his career and seeing a franchise elevate during his tenure. So that would be my third. Uh, Back to the Colts conversation, including the Dean joining us in an hour. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, I want to thank uh, Jason for pointing out, I don't know how I'd forgotten this. I don't even know that I realized it in the moment. I was in college in 95, 96. I was muddling my way through my fifth-year victory lap before – awaiting another 30 years of graduating 
Um, but Vern Fleming did play one year for the Nets at the end of his career. Played 77 games for him, 22 minutes a game. I have Jason, thank you. I, I did not remember that fact. So not the totality of his career as a pacer, but certainly the totality of his, I guess, meaningful career. Now, um, Jason also mentioned Derek McKee. I loved, loved, loved Derek McKee. I think Derek McKee, the most underappreciated and underrated pacer of all time. He could literally – Derek McKee was two guys for the Pacers that I think were ahead of their time and people didn't realize it. And one, people didn't realize it because the guy wasn't healthy. He unfortunately just could not stay healthy. And one hill that I will die on, and I've had people laugh at me for it, and I'm like, well, then you don't talk to people that were around it because the people that were around it and saw it would totally agree with me. Guarantee it. I know for a fact they would agree with me, but – um, number one, Derek McKee was underrated because he could play any position. He could guard anybody. He did not need shots to go through him uh, in order to score. He was really good at the end of possessions. His his like three point percentage increased by like eight percentage points in the last five seconds of like a shot clock. So like when possessions were wearing down and it would just rotate through to him, he was really reliable as a scorer. Great player. The other one, and I know that this guy never had – he was never healthy, and he is like – his name creates eye rolls in this town. I totally get it. But the reason the Pacers invested so much in Jonathan Bender is because they saw in Jonathan Bender what was seen in early Kevin Durant. And he was going to be Kevin Durant before Kevin Durant. When Kevin Durant got in the league, nobody had seen a a thin seven-footer be able to step out and hit threes reliably. And Jonathan Bender, that's exactly what he was. And he also could handle the ball and and penetrate with the ball. He could do amazing things with the basketball for a seven-footer that had never been seen before. And when the Pacers saw it, they're like, holy cow, this is a trajectory-changing player for the league. That's why they invested so much in him. But he had the knee cartilage issue where he just could not stay healthy long enough to be able to show what he could do. Um Colts getting set for the Baltimore Ravens coming up on Sunday. And, of course, the big question mark becomes, we'll begin, Jimmy, I guess, by talking about from the health standpoint. Because I think what's lost a little bit in the concern and the discussion about Anthony Richardson is, you know, Ryan Kelly. I mean, Ryan Kelly being out in the protocol is is literally um, – I, it's not as big as Richardson, obviously, but it's pretty darn important, right? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it all offseason in the lead-up to Anthony Richardson's development of the instability on the offensive line and the struggles they had a year ago. And if you need more evidence on that of why it's so fickle to a point that you might not want Anthony Richardson out there if there's no Ryan Kelly. We had Rick DeMoling on yesterday, and he highlighted the fact, which surprised me a little bit, he said that center is the hardest to replace, which I guess makes sense, but I guess maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. I'm always so spooked when something happens at left tackle because of it being the blind side that that might have been my answer. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense that from a cadence standpoint, a timing standpoint, offensively, you lose a center and you bring somebody in that's not familiar with the offense, even if it's a backup lineman, it's a recipe for disaster in some instances. Well, here's the thing. The center position is far more important when Anthony Richardson is leaning over it than it is Gardner Minshew. And the irony would be this. Gardner Minshew 
probably needs better protection because he's less mobile. Yeah. So you need your center fielder of the line. You need your glue of the line. You you, you need your key. What's that game called? Changa? Is that what it's called? What, what's it called? Jenga. Jenga? Yes. Yeah, the, the, that's a wood block thing, yes. right? Yes, yes. So you need your key block, pardon the pun, being your center when you have a quarterback that has to actually sit in the pocket, yeah. which would be Minshew. But what is this year all about, Jimmy? The development of Anthony Richardson. Correct. And in order to develop, you must first do what? In partnership with your development, you must learn, right? And you've got to learn, and I think the number one thing that is difficult for quarterbacks to learn in the National Football League is twofold. Number one, as we've talked about, the windows, the, the open windows, the collapse time, the speed of a defense. But more importantly, the scheme of a defense. You know, Peyton Manning is arguably the most cerebral quarterback to ever play the game. But Foxborough was a house of horrors for him for the first half of his career. And the reason being, if you talk to guys that, that played in those New England defenses, if you talk to Peyton Manning, they'll tell you, the personnel didn't change. For the most part, the way that they executed defensively didn't change. But the way they lined up and masked what they were doing changed. So Manning would come up to the line, and he's doing his looking over the line, and he's landing airplanes at Logan Airport, and he's lifting his knee, and he's doing all that, right? <laughs> and he's trying to draw the defense into a different formation. And the part of the reason he's doing it is because they're in a formation that either he doesn't like or that he doesn't recognize. Now, New England would tell you, look, here's the humor in it, guys. We know that we're going to run like a zone package to to push out Wayne and Harrison to the outside and force everything to the middle. That, that That's the design of the play that we're in. But we're in a formation that's completely different than what it looked like the last time we did exactly that. So New England knows that they're giving a totally different look, a stunt, and, and Manning's like, what is going on? So learning that, it took time for Manning to learn all of the different looks that he saw and be able to equate in his mind what they did the last time they set up that way. And eventually, part of why Manning was able to get over that New England hump and and have success and break through that wall and that ceiling is because they ran out of ways to look and he was able to figure out exactly what they were doing and then get more comfortable in running the offense against that Bel- Belichick defense. With Anthony Richardson, Jimmy, he's coming up to the line of scrimmage. He hadn't seen – I mean, we've talked about it. An NFL playbook is the Cheesecake Factory menu, as I've told you, and and he's got the lunch menu, right? Don't sleep on the chicken Alfredo. Is that good? Yes. Do you like the Alfredo? I do. Is it the – the the sauce that makes it better for them? What's better about the chicken Alfredo cheese? Because, I mean, you can get chicken Alfredo. It's the sauce. You can get that if it's It's the sauce. Yeah, okay. I really like the sauce. How's the chicken? Delicious. Okay, so the chicken alfredo is what you get. Now, yes. do you save room for a cheesecake after that? Oh, yeah. That's, really? Oh, yeah. That's thick. I mean, I won't take down the whole cheesecake. Do you take a, a nap afterwards? <laughs> Depends what time of day it is. How often do you go to the Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. If I was to clock it, I would say probably once or twice a year. You remember Vince Young? 
Yes, I remember Vince Young. Vince yeah. Young, who they it turns it came out after the fact that he was spending twenty two thousand dollars a month at Cheesecake Factory. Super expensive, by the way, the Cheesecake Factory. I, well, like, I like that's why I don't know about twenty two thousand a month, right? <laughs> I mean, he's buying it for everybody. You got to work a little bit to get to twenty two grand. My buddy from Australia, Michael, when he and Marcus come to the United States, their their ritual is they, that wherever they land, they have to go to the first Cheesecake Factory within range. That's amazing. And they go to no matter where they go, they go to Cheesecake Factory, right? Sniffing twenty two thousand. No, he, well, I think Michael could probably pop it, but no, he. I don't know that they're racking up that kind of bill. But Anthony Richardson, when it comes to recognizing those defenses, like he's already probably, so far, I would bet that he's seeing fairly generic looks. But when they start coming up with Jacksonville adjusted the way that they defended him in the second half than they did the first. And Richardson is at the point in his career where he probably is not going to recognize a lot of those stunts and a lot of those formations. But you know who does, Jimmy? Gardner Minshew. And? <laughs> Gardner Minshew does. You're correct. One would think, right? Ryan Kelly. Ryan Kelly, yes. So the center – and that's not to say that's not to say that Wesley French would not, right? But, but what I'm saying is Kelly, I think – the overall experience of being the quarterback and the captain of an offensive line, part of the job of a center is, frankly, to simply recognize everything going on around and be able to report back. It's why Jeff Saturday, who, by the way, is back on ESPN. Did you notice that? Saw that today. Congratulations to him. I like Jeff Saturday. As do I. Happy for Jeff. Um, it's why Jeff Saturday is was so valuable to the Colts because he was literally – I mean – there's a reason Jeff Saturday is on ESPN. There's a reason Jim Irsay wanted to hire him as a head coach. There's a reason that we had him on the morning show every week because he could look at anything and, and decipher it immediately as to what was happening. And I'm assuming that Ryan Kelly is the same way, that you walk up to the line of scrimmage, you got a young quarterback behind you, you have a cadence where the quarterback comes up and Ryan Kelly is looking over his shoulder and he's saying, you know, hey, Red Dog 38. Red Dog 38 is code for uh, no fettuccine Alfredo. They're, they're set up right now. Uh, you need a card blocker here. Okay, then what are we going with? Uh, we're going we're going tofu ragiani, ragiani, marinara. Okay, fine. Right? Yeah. And so that's what Richardson needs. So it, but so Ryan Kelly is, is really important to what they're going to try to do. Do you think? Because my answer was yes. Which, by the way, I losing a bit of confidence so far but my answer is yes that Anthony Richardson plays on Sunday would your answer and Eddie's too because you both said no would it change at all or be impacted at all if Ryan Kelly was not also in the concussion protocol that's an excellent question that is an excellent question I do believe that they are I don't think that one can impact the other. I think you have to do each of them independently, quite frankly. Let's say they both – well, let's say Richardson clears protocol, but Kelly does not. Would that impact your answer at all of if Richardson should be out there? So say that again. If Richardson w- clears protocol. He's Richardson eligible clears, to play. He's in. Okay. In my opinion, don't you think? If if Anthony Richardson clears the the, the concussion protocol, yes. he is in. Yes. He is in the lineup. Yes. Regardless of it helps him to have Ryan Kelly under as the center, but I don't think that that's imperative for Richardson to be out there. Right? Yeah. And, and essence of my question there. And that's kind of what I'm banking on is that he's going to be able to pass out of protocol, but 
again, that was during our genie segment yesterday. I'm just guessing. I don't know any more than anybody in this room in regards to where he is in that protocol process. Maybe we'll find out more when Shane Steichen speaks to the media next, but it's a guessing game at this point. And I think stakes matter too. Like I've seen, you look back, what, two postseasons ago, Patrick Mahomes got a concussion in the divisional round and then winds up playing in conference championship game. He got through concussion protocol in under a week. Like it, it matters to me, not getting through the protocol, but the risk of once a guy passes, do you put him back out there right away? I think also matters with situational football in the season. Yeah. Regular season game versus playoff game. Not that the standards of the protocol are bent, by the way. I'm just saying maybe you're more precautious with Anthony Richardson because it's week three. So I'm curious about this from last night. You had mentioned this. So you were calling a soccer match, right? I was. Do you ever say soccer game? It's always a match, right? I feel like I've been known to have the slip and say game. But Is it okay if I, re- if I tell people that, I th- and I know that you broadcast it, so you get uh, a pass here, right? But I mean, you're, a, you're an enthusiast of the sport aside from just the games you broadcast, right? Yes. Like you follow the, the um, European leagues and, and all that stuff, right? Sure. Um, Millwall, are you a Millwall fan? No. Okay, that's my club. I mean, I'm not an anti- I don't have hatred towards Millwall. I don't, I don't even know what league Millwall's in. <laughs> Millwall was in the English Premier League and they got relegated, so what would that put them in? Was, the, English, uh, the championship. The English not-so-Premier League? The championship. It, that's what it's called? Yeah. Well, I would think the championship would be the Premier League. It's I'd rather win confusing. a championship it's than a Premier. Confusing. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, if I'm going for a beer, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I like Corona Premier, but if they had a Corona Champions, I'm going with that, right? Yes. So... Does that mean Millwall? Can you look up if Millwall's in the champion? Eddie, can you look Have you up? mentioned them before on the Millwall, show? Millwall, yes, I have. Their logo, is, or their slogan, their team slogan. Their logo looks a lot like the Detroit Lions. If you mentioned team. it a week ago, they're in the championship. Their, their slogan is, uh, no one likes us, we don't care. And and, I, and that's beautiful. I mean, that's that should be the theme of this show. They are in the championship. They are? Yes, tomorrow, 245. Currently in a... Wait a minute. They're in the championship of the champions? Um, what, do, what do you mean they're in the championship? What are they? They're in the championship, championship league. That's yes. the name of the league. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's what. That's so, what the, but you said they're in the championship tomorrow at two forty-five. Yeah, I didn't realize it was the league. Sorry, I don't follow soccer. <laughs> well, you and I both, Eddie. Yeah. By the okay. way, like I'm, I'm, I'm who a do very... they, Who do they play? By the way, uh, Rutherham. Yeah, those guys are goons. So it's Rutherham. Can't trust them. Are they British also? Is the championship league all? It's Brits? all. It's all part of the English football pyramid. Well, okay. Why aren't you talking in your British accent? Uh, yes, I'm in Millwall. I'm a big fan of Millwall. Yes, that's my old guy British accent. Then I have a, a, another one which sounds a lot. Do you like have a my young lad? One. Excuse me. There you go. Do you like the Beatles? Can I interest you in a tea and crop it? Who approved of your British accent? By the way, I did. No, I thought you had somebody call in who was British and they approved it. Interestingly enough, thank you for asking. Six out of seven doctors <laughs> recommend my British accent. but a, Or dentists, I mean. Six out of seven dentists. Dentists? Wow. Den, yeah, six out of seven dentists. So they play it when someone's getting a root canal? Did well, they no. test that before or after Trident Gum? Which the, the, was, was well, the, the problem is the problem is you couldn't find seven dentists in Britain. So they don't. none of them actually know how to do my, my British accent. But um, do you say soccer match or game? Usually match. Okay, now, do you say field or pitch? So I do say field, but I, I I try to say pitch during soccer, but it just happens. Because here's what let, let me ask you this: I need to take this to a vote with the company. Okay, we're gonna do a company board meeting. The only soccer rule of terminology that I really try to religiously follow is it's nil, not zero. That's that's if okay. it's three. Do you say it's level? Yes. Okay. Here is my here is my question. I, my one of my best friends growing up 
well, at least in high school, and then my college roommate now lives in Auckland, New Zealand. He's He is 50 years old and lived 43 and a half years of his life in the United States. He moved to New Zealand, and I totally understand his son is very is a big fan of soccer and plays soccer, and my buddy has become an official for soccer. But when he talks to us on a group text with all the high school friends about soccer, he'll say things like, it was a great day on the pitch yesterday, and I called a level match um, that was nil-nil before. And I'm like, no, no, wait a minute, but you're talking to Americans. <laughs> See, I only use it during a broadcast. For instance, like if it's 2-1 and then a tying goal is, and they've brought them level. Like, oh, But I won't use it in conversation like that. Like, you know, oh, yeah, I called a level. So I've never said that. Like if I was doing an IndyCar broadcast and I, it, if I was calling the, the Indy 500 and I said, like this year, Pata Award crashed in turn three, I think. I think that was this year. They all run together after a while, to be honest with you. And I very, I don't remember any call after a race. I don't know how you are with soccer, but when I call a game, a, a, a race, I have no recollection of that race after the same. It's like you're in a uh, in like a yes. zone, right? Yes. But if there was an accident in the Indy 500 and I said, "Oh my." And he's disqualified after an incredible shunt. <laughs> I mean, those are like European common racing terms, but if I said that here, people would be like, "What are you talking about?" So like, why do we with soccer use the British terms as opposed to the American terms for that we've always used. Like, do you call it football or soccer? Soccer. So if you say soccer, which is an American term, yes. an American colloquialism for the sport, then why do you say level instead of tied? Do you really want to know the truth? Yeah. I think saying level is fun. Okay. Genuinely. Like, I just, I, I get I get excited because the stakes are there and you are able to squeak past with a draw. I mean, it's slightly different in the high school ranks because it's, it's it, it's a slightly different game, right? Like everybody's going to make the tournament here in the state, but you're not playing for a point system versus over in Europe or even in the MLS here, you get a tie. It's the difference between one point and no points, right? Like, so there's something at stake there. I don't know. I just level's fun. What about the fact that one is monosyllabic and you can emphasize it more? Fair. But I, I mean... So my, my question, though, is when, when my buddy in New Zealand is talking to us about soccer, is it – should – like here, – here's a better way of saying it. When you hear – give me a famous British person over the age of 50. Anybody. David Beckham. David Beckham. Okay. Well, David Beckham's hard because he's always lived, for the most part, he's lived in England his whole, like, I'm trying to think of, an, of a British person that's lived in the United States for Elton John. Elton John's lived in, in Atlanta for like 30 years, right? But when you hear Elton John talk, it's hard to even understand it because his British accent is so thick. Despite living in the United States for 30 years, he still has the accent and the, and the linguistics of that of which he grew up, Right. So then why then do people move to the, to now my buddy Marcus is not who I'm talking about, but why do people like move to England? I, I went to high school with a girl that moved to England. We were like 25 years old, lived there for two years, came back and was like, hello, I tried to ring you on the telly. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, Hey Jake, what's up? I just called you on the phone. That, that works. There's no way that you pick that up in two years and completely change the way you speak. Right. 
Well, that that's a tough side by side comparison, right? Because there's no there's difference in some of the finesse of the words, but for the most part, they all mean the same thing. I, I get it if you are, but like she had the accent no, though, and I'm like, well, how did you get the accent? Doesn't make sense. Feels put on. But for instance, like if you are going to France or Spain, like a lot of people because the locals and, and nationals prefer that you have the dialect, you change it. You're not saying the Spanish words or French words in an American accent. You're trying to get the dialect down as I well. I get that. But the whole, that's, but it's a, different that's language, I know though. it is. So that's my point. That one I don't get. Okay, your, what, your example I do not get. I've never understood this either. And then I promise we'll get back to the Colts. Um, explain this to me. Okay. One of the, and I, in, in my opinion of my, of my era, one of the most underrated, underappreciated, natural, just God-gifted talents of music is George Michael. I think George Michael was an unbelievable singer. I think he was a great songwriter, mixer, everything. I think George Michael is a phenomenal musician in general. Elton John, I'll put in the same category, right? Although he didn't write his songs. But either one of those guys, when you hear them talk, you're like, I can barely understand the guy. But yet when they sing, there's no British accent. David Bowie, another example. Like, how does a British person talk like, you, you, you hear my interview, well, you know, the, the song, writing the song was a, a bit of a challenge. And then they sing and you're like, there's no accent whatsoever. I'm not saying that they do it by intention, but what is it about singing that makes you, that, that linguistically balances everything? You should do soccer matches in a singing tone. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you as to why that is. And I can't remember what it was, but what I'm going to continue on this train ride with you. There was a, a talent show that was like America's Got Talent, but it was for the world. It was like World Showcase. It was on CBS about like five or seven years ago. And there was a a gentleman from, I don't know if he's from China or if he's from Korea, where where he was, but he didn't speak English, but he could sing like George Strait songs. uh, Like like to to a clean Okay, prime example is the guy that became the lead singer of Journey. The man that confuses you. Journey, (laughs) Steve Perry leaves leaves Journey. They're looking for a new singer, and they hire a guy from the Philippines who did not speak a lot of English, but he knew every Journey song like perfectly. And and that's another thing that fascinates me is like Michael Jackson was huge like in in Asia. And I'm like, do they know the word? Like, I mean, would would we know, would we be entertained by by Asian music just simply based on the fact that we don't know the lyrics? In our quest for potentially injury doctors with the anthony richardson situation do you also want us to call a dialect coach because be awesome. like, we can well, try we have yesterday down. we we appointed a vice president of lexicon here on the program so we have that to fall back on right <laughs> i don't think that's going to get the answers you're uh, hey jake for. does jimmy use equalizer not as often as level but yes i've used it before you have yes okay but it's not usually like they're, they're seeking an equalizing goal they're seeking an equalizer we should go back to talking like pirates. Um, <laughs> uh, am I off base in saying that the Baltimore Ravens, I automatically think, and I'll rely on the two of you to correct me here. There are certain teams that just adopt as a franchise an MO or a reputation that you don't even know if it's still applicable. And when I think of the Baltimore Ravens, I think of, like, when I think of the New England Patriots, I think of Foxborough, rainy, 45-degree day, gross, 
It's been dark since three in the afternoon. Sixty <laughs> minutes is up next. I'm depressed. Except for the West Coast. Except for the that's right. So like all of that is what I think of when I think of Foxborough, right? Yes. When I think of the Baltimore Ravens, I think of the Bob Ursay coffin. Besides that, which is fabulous, right? I've never been to Azarana. <laughs> but when I think of the Baltimore Ravens, I think of like nasty, bloody your mouth, smash mouth defensive team. You think about the Steelers the same way, right? Like I, I totally. Do. Uh, yes, and like the the Ravens as well, like Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, yep. and to your point, the Steelers. I think of you know, I mean, you can go with Joey Porter. Um, you know, now obviously TJ Watt, Watt yep. and before that the Steel Curtain. But I have no idea if Baltimore is still that level of elite defensively. But I just feel like they are because I see the uniforms, I see the stadium, and I just think like it's kind of intimidating and it's a hornet's nest to go into. And yet in reality, the Ravens probably now, in terms of the wins that they've I think they're really well coached. Number one, and I think that they have Eddie. I think you think that that Lamar Jackson's an elite level quarterback, right? Yes, I think he has the potential to be there, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, he's probably as much of where they are as anything, but like you just feel like defensively that that's what sets the tone for them, right? But but is that really who they are now? I mean, you look at the numbers of what they were able to do. This is a small sample size against the Bengals. Like, I mean, I it took them to task. It felt like yeah. Jamar Chase did nothing. T. Higgins, the only one that made a major I mean, impact on that game. Seventh in the league in points allowed per game. Okay. I mean, small sample size, to your point, right? Yeah. They still got some dudes. Roquan Smith. They do. Oh, there's no doubt they do. There's they no doubt they Javon do. Clowney. I mean, I know he's been a name that's floated around a couple teams, but it's kind of like Odell Beckham, though. Like offensively, do you, you know, Clowney. Clowney is still to your point. You, you think like Jadeveon Clowney. You know what he can do. You know his size. I don't know that he was ever necessarily a great like straight on rusher, but he he distracted things. But but at this point, Jadeveon Clowney reminds me in the later years of like the later year Simeon Rice, kind of resting on his laurels a little bit. You, you know, know what I mean? You, you know what it is with the Ravens? And I, I think this is a, a fair way to answer your question as to why they're still viewed that way. There hasn't been a shift in the last 11 years, primarily because Harbaugh's still there, that's taken away from the lingering impact of Ed Reed and of Ray Lewis. Like that last championship team, they've had Lamar Jackson and... and it, They've had like pockets of talent, but there hasn't been an overwhelming identity shift where you don't automatically just think of the most recent prevailing identity they right, had, which right. is high-level defense. And that carries over every year, in part because the AFC North is always kind of viewed as a bloodbath defensive right. division. It, it, like a smash mouth, yes. nothing... Per, like, who was the last... Well, actually, to be honest with you, probably Cincinnati now is the first like elite level offensive minded team that you've seen in a couple of years, right? Yeah. Because to your point, it is a, a division that just feels like that level of like nineteen seventies football. Steelers would have been the one before that, I would say. I mean, they still had that defensive identity, but Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, 
Ben Roethlisberger, and then before that, Antoine Randall-L. I mean, they there were pockets of offense in the AFC North you could highlight, but yeah, it's always been a defensive identity-based division. Have you heard people saying Antoine Randall-L should be hired by Indiana? I've not heard that. Eddie's nodding his head. I have. I've heard it recently with him being a coach now at uh, with the Lions that they would like him to come back to IU and be the head coach. But what if he comes back and decides to readopt the Cam Cameron era? Make the oval helmets. Yeah, come on. Right? I mean, yeah. if we're going to bring back that, you know, the, the problem with the problem when Antoine Randall L was a player was Indiana's team was Antoine Randall L, right? It was like Randall L four <laughs> yards, Randall L five yards, incomplete pass punt. Well, right now it's by Antoine Randall L. What, Cam Camper and Jalen Lucas? And that's about it with Taven Jackson? Pretty much. Yeah. It, it, it's a struggle for sure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Love this song, by the way. Is this their signature song? Yes. Think so? Yeah. I mean, I'm biased there. Travis Kelsey basically adopted it as the Chiefs anthem the last three years, so I'm biased. But By the way, I have a new game I want to play. Okay. And I might forget this on a daily basis, but you mentioned that it's an experience working together. And I told you a couple weeks ago, Jake, I have so many tabs open. And you said something to the effect of, get used to it, brother. You said something to that effect. We're at 29 right now. 29. 29 tabs open because of the different paths that we've gone on really? so far. Yes. And so I want to keep track of, of well, wouldn't at the end of the show. be fun to be within a bar? <laughs> open tab, baby. <laughs> PBR, open tab. <laughs> I still need to put together the PBR party. How'd you turn your mic off when you were doing I that? I didn't. It Unless, turned... you know what? I set my phone down. I wonder if it hit it. Yeah, probably. Or Eddie's sabotaging you one of the I two. I would never do that to Jake. Also entirely possible. Ah, that's important. Repeat that one more time. I would never do that to Jake. Well, right, back to CEO. No. What about me, huh? See, you know, I do it to you. Yeah, exactly. You're not chairman of the board. I'm not chairman of the board. He, hold, he holds my job he makes me he, he pays the bills you don't think the president has at least a spot on the board to no. be vocal no okay uh jake this is Lee at firefly which by the way is formerly the children's bureau and a fabulous facility um just an excellent excellent facility for children that um circumstances get in the way where all of a sudden they need a safe place to go while mom or dad are in crisis uh firefly is fabulous over off of michigan road uh actually dr martin luther king drive uh, my husband says you're questioning why singers lose their accents when singing. I have a vocal performance degree from IU. Long story short, it's due to the elongation of vowel sounds and rhythm. Oh. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh. That's the elongation of a vowel sound. I can't oh. help but notice, though, at the end of that text, there also wasn't a, by the way, I'm applying to be your head of. I know. I was a little... Well, she said her husband was listening. Okay. Now, here's... You know where they elongate vowel sounds? Wisconsin. A and Canada. Both. Do you know how you spell Canada? Give it to me. C-A-N-A-D-A. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) The Great White North. You go up there and it's all... Vowels are all different It's a whole different country up there. Whole different country. Uh, Last night, Monday Night Football, you saw two games that neither one really wet your whistle. One of them being the Saints and the Panthers. Derek Carr, I thought, looked pretty good. Carolina, I felt bad because 
you know, Frank Reich, I mean, it, it kind of felt like, and, and I feel like people in Charlotte are probably starting to get, literally, we could send them air checks, uh, radio term, clips from this program or this radio station of the Frank Reich era and send it down there and they could just they could just play that, which is, man, the offense was like, gets right to the doorstep, but then could never close a drive. And I thought Bryce Young looked pretty good. He had a couple of nice runs. He looked more comfortable. But again, just a battle of field goals, essentially, right? And, and that was one of those games. Do you remember when, when Thursday Night Football first came about? Like 05, 06? Yeah, somewhere in there. NFL Network was doing yeah. them, right? Yep. The NFL Network Thursday Night Football games in their infancy was basically participation trophies for the NFL. It was like, uh, we're going to create our own network. And the real selling point is every one of you is going to get a primetime game. We promise. Every team's going to get a primetime game. There were some bad Chiefs teams. I remember I was elated as a kid. Yes, we're on primetime right. television, Thursday Night Football. And it's so yes. funny, Jimmy, because you also think to yourself, you know, I mean, in the early years of Monday Night Football for this town, like when, when the Colts were on Monday Night Football, it was an event. Like the Halloween night against the Broncos, you know, that was such a massive event because you knew it was, you know, what was the old saying? The whole country's watching. Everybody's tuned in. And just the thought of like people rushing home from work in Tacoma, Washington, or in Wheeling, West Virginia, or Amarillo, Texas, and they were turning on their television and they were seeing the skyline of Indianapolis. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. And all of it was just captivating. Different era. But the same was true of Thursday Night Football on the NFL Network. And then one day it dawned on me, they basically came up with this because they've got to find a place to put Cleveland and the Bengals of that era and the Bears on primetime television. And it's like, we we took care of you. You get a primetime game. Carolina, you get a primetime game. Here you go. You're just checking a box. Enjoy your game in Arizona. And that's what last night's Monday night games, truth be told, kind of felt like. I get that there's some intrigue maybe with Bryce Young because he's, you know, and and I mean, the Saints maybe, but I mean, the the Cleveland-Pittsburgh matchup, I mean, those are two teams that feel like they're just basically sitting there treading water, right? Yes. Kenny Pickett. I will say, I had more... I was willing to have the overreaction of Cleveland's a threat in the North after their performance in week one against Cincinnati. I don't think that they looked like the Steelers were the team in my mind, even though they won that game, that were the biggest anchor of that matchup going in. The Browns yesterday, I mean, I know a lot of people like the easy narrative is, and this is entirely because of his contract. If Deshaun Watson last night had done exactly what he did, but was make you know was on like a, a more pedestrian contract, I don't know that there would be necessarily. I mean, he did have two turnovers for sure, negative, right? But the, especially now, I mean, they need with Nick Chubb out, they are absolutely. I mean, Deshaun Watson's basically going to have to kind of carry that, that that team a little bit, right? Yes, and. I didn't, you know, last night he was, what, 22 of 40, but he did have, I mean, not great in terms of, 
short rhythm, th- whatever you see that they're designing, just short rhythm passes for a guy. That means they know the reality of the fact that he's just not completely comfortable. And you know what I mean. And, yes. And the timing's not there, and everything else. But they, I mean, look, they. They struggled last night from an offensive line standpoint. He sacked six times, like I think two or three in the fourth quarter. Like it, he's running for his life. I will say, and I'm gonna have to really go back and look at like 2019 Deshaun Watson. But a lot of times he's not looking downfield. He's keeping his head down, trying to get away from pressure. Like there weren't those type of magical playmaking opportunities late in that game last night because of how relentless Pittsburgh was defensively. Listen, Dewan Jones last night, the rookie out of Ben Davis, former basketball star Ben Davis, obviously, and played at Ohio State, fourth-round pick, struggled. But, I mean, he struggled. Kind of a turnstile. But he's also playing against T.J. Watt. I mean, I guess it only gets easier from here, right? That's like baptism by – that's not baptism by fire. That's (laughs) baptism by, like, total inferno. Yes. Welcome to the league. But he struggled. (laughs) And – but that division, though, I mean, what's going on with Cincinnati? Burroughs hurt again. I asked Eddie this question yesterday, and I'm not ready to do it just yet until we figure out Burrow and if it's going to be a lingering thing all season or not. Are they the team that you asked me about to start the yeah, year? Are yeah. they the team that is great a year ago and then everything that is viewed falls as untouchable apart, right? and everything yeah. falls out from under them? I know. But this is their thing. It's what they've done. And, he, and this is what I'm talking about. This is what they've done every year underneath Joe Burrow. Like, they're 1-7 in seven in his career in the first two weeks. But. They started 0-2 last year. But. But I will say. Was he healthy in those weeks? Because he's dinged up now. I mean, what what's his status, Last year, right? the narrative last, was he well, didn't last, get any preseason because of. Last year, he had the appendectomy. Right. Um, Have you but, had that, by the way? No. Have you? No. Have you? I've had. Here's the thing. I've had my appendix removed. And I've had my gallbladder removed. But I had my gallbladder removed first. Had a gallbladder attack. Not fun. Two for I, one? That See, that's the thing. I When I had my gallbladder removed, uh, I had 42 gallstones. I was incredibly proud because I was, all, I was a 25-year-old male. And they're like, this usually happens to 80-year-old women. And I'm like, well, I know. But, I, you know, this is easy compared to menopause. But then, like, three years later, I had my appendix removed. Appendicitis was a very similar sensation. And... I was when they took my appendix out. I was like, "Why didn't they just do this last?" Time? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Other side, granted, but like, why did you? You had the vacuum, you had the laser. Just do it, right? Take yeah. them both out. And I thought both of them were like the worst pain ever. And then a heart attack trumps both, for what it's worth. Yeah, but that's uncontested. But, but <laughs> it is. Um, but a, but but Burrow though. I mean, the calf injury's back, so we we don't know. I, I don't. I haven't seen this week what his official status is, but he's expected to miss some games, right? I think they're saying that there's a chance he may miss Monday night's game against the Rams, but there's no clarity on whether he's officially well, these out teams or not. are all going to play that close to the vest, right? Right. But I, like you were saying, I think this is different with Cincinnati compared to the previous two, three years because he's had even less time to get ready for week one. I mean, he only practiced the week leading up to the game. He looks very, so far... It's not like I'm sitting there analyzing film on the guy, but in the games that I've seen, he does look out of rhythm, right? Yes. And they're not like running the ball at all. They're just so heavily reliant on him and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Well, like, And T. Higgins did, I mean, has kind of shown you. I mean, he carried the weight that's against I mean. Baltimore that's because I mean. they mm-hmm. needed to he go to He was non-existent week one, yeah. and then week two he comes 
Also, as we're taking this trip around the league, we were mentioning teams in the on the flow of traffic, where they stand, what kind of cars they're driving. The Titans reminded us once again, they're every bit of that Mad Max style car that has blades coming out of it that you think is probably going to break down at any point in time. But then they swipe Justin Herbert out of the left lane and I mean, pick up a W. I, yeah, like, <laughs> but the, again, I, they're the they're the most enigmatic team in the league. I yes. think. Yeah, because Jimmy, are they old or are they not? I was under the impression they were. I mean, Tannehill, you keep thinking like you know, are they are they done or are they hanging around? I mean, there is a legitimate cap to what they can do, but that cap varies by the week. It doesn't get any higher than make the playoffs. Maybe win a playoff game ugly. That's as high as that goes. But still, we thought this year, at least I, despite the preaching of how their car is so rugged. Thought maybe this would be the year they take a step back. Tannehill's 20-24 in that game, right? Yeah. And, and here, you know my favorite player in the NFL, right? You don't, because I never said it. No. Who? I don't mean my favorite in terms of our root for. Active? Yes. Okay. A guy in the NFL that I think is the biggest unicorn in the league. Uh, Tennessee is 16th right now in terms of age. Of average roster age, by the way. I guess it's more, but age of specialty players. Oh, I put them, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, between Henry, Tannehill, and Hopkins, for sure. Yeah. Um, I know it's an outdated position, and I know it goes against everything I've talked about, but like about the running back position. And I know that he is off to a slow start, but I think Derrick Henry is a dynamic game-carrying back. Because he gets – there are few running backs you can say this about. It used to be the case more often than now – but Derrick Henry gets better as the day goes on. Derrick Henry in this modern NFL, and you can push back on this if you want, is the equivalent of if a player as big and as talented as Shaq that still played that way appeared in the NBA today. It's a great point, Jimmy, because I was just thinking yesterday, where would Shaquille, where would Shaq be drafted if he came out of the draft today? I thought the exact same thing. And he would still go very high because he is so unique at that position that he can still dominate even though everybody else has gotten away from what he can do. And Derrick Henry, I think, is indeed that kind of guy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, here's the problem with National Talk Like a Pirate Day. The benefit is you get to play this song, which is just, it, as the kids say, it just slaps, right? Yes, it does slap. That is Jake. probably the <laughs> only time you've said something that's in our age range over here. That it slaps? Yes. Okay. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Now, the be- the song is awesome. Oh, I agree. But here's the thing about the Talk Like a Pirate Day, because everybody keeps asking me. My buddy Darren just sent me a thing. Hey, it's Talk Like a Pirate Day. Why are you not talking like a pirate? And I get it, right? But, and I do like talking like a pirate. And I, if, if you don't mind me saying so, I play, I'm a very good pirate. I mean, I really do. 10 of 10 would recommend, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Right? But, the, do you know who uh, most pirates favored in this year's NFL draft at the quarterback position? Who's that? Uh, what's the kid's name out of Tennessee? <laughs> Will Levis? No, the one that played at University of Tennessee. Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker! Give him the Hooker! Gosh. That's right, yeah. Um, 
Do you know why they like? Do you know why a, a pirate's favorite player is the team captain? Are these just things you've had stowed away? No, this or? Is all, Eddie, this is all. I mean, just ride the ride here, buddy. Okay. Why? Oh, I'm definitely or, or on the ship. Send a wave. I am oh, on the that? ship with you here, okay, riding. Thanks. Yeah, we're the, taking on water. The the every pirate's favorite player is the quarterback because usually their jersey has a C. See, I'm just saying. <laughs> Do you know who they? Do you know who their favorite Big Ten program is in football? Rutgers. That's right. You know why? Because what's on their what, what's on their helmet? What's on the Rutgers helmet? An R. An R. That's right. Yes. Yeah, see, I, and I mean, I could go on with this all day long, right? Right. Yes. I'm just saying. For what it's worth, but here's the thing about Talk Like a Pirate Day. This all came about like ten years ago, and and, and like most things, I was in on this early. One day, I was driving to work, and and I was doing a former radio show, and somebody says, today's talk like a pirate day. And I'm talking like a pirate all day. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about so many pirates that I'm getting down into the Omar Moreno, Willie Stargell range. I'm talking about every pirate known to man. And I'm doing every pirate joke, and, I'm, and, and they're all ad-lib, right? They're all ad-lib, the pirate jokes. And, and so, I mean, and when I would run out of them, you know, I would turn around, of course, into the treasure chest, and come up with another joke and do another one or whatever else. And... and like, for example, do you know why pirates like Kim Kardashian? Oh, gosh. Huh? I hope this doesn't go the wrong way. Because of the booty. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> it's endless, right? And so so I'm doing that, and then suddenly everybody else is doing Talk Like a Pirate Day. And the next year, I turn on like one of the TV shows, and the, and the talking heads are all dressed like pirates, and they've got the eye patch. And, and, and now I'm like, it's played out. Everybody has taken my fun and now turned it into something that's completely played out. And then I began, I began to resent pirates. It's the commercialization of Pirate Day. Thank you. That's exactly right. Yep. You got to take the fun thing, and then everybody has to exploit it and overdo it. It's like the Deion Sanders thing. Like, I liked Deion Sanders in Colorado. We were talking about him last week, and then I turn it on, and that Mark Jones guy calls him Coach Prime 342 times in the first quarter alone, and I'm like, okay, I'm over it. I'm just tired of it, right? So does that mean pirates are scared of them? Because they that? have the C? <laughs> That's right. That Wait, but, are, so, yeah. but so now has it faded out to the point that you're picking it back up? Because you asked Eddie to play that song today. Well, here's the thing. This is what you guys don't realize. That is song... Uh, Derek Schultz just like groaning somewhere as we talk about this? <laughs> There's no question about that. Now, the song, here's what you don't realize. This okay. is where the joke's on you guys. The song that Eddie was playing... The joke's always on us. <laughs> the, the song that, that Eddie was playing, yeah. actually... You wrote... No, I didn't write it, <laughs> right? But... That, that song actually is not copyrighted on any of the streaming services, right? But I pirated it. And so therefore we played it. That one was bad. Come on, Eddie. Work with me. Oh, work I've been me. working with you for the last four minutes. What be a pirate's favorite fast food restaurant? Arby's. You would think it Landon. would be Arby's. But actually it's Long John Silver's. <laughs> it is. You know, Long John, if there are any left, right? I have a buddy who's thinking about doing a, co- a coffee book, a photo book of repurposed Long John Silvers that they're calling Long Gone Silvers. And I'm like, that is solid. That's it's well nothing played. but like, like there's a, the burger place in Castleton is a former Long John Silvers. Now you always know, this is the thing, you can always tell. They can, there's always they can, a tell. They can always, discri- yeah. they can always as much as they want, disguise it. But when you go up and you have to actually pull the, the sword on the door- that, that's always the giveaway. Now, I, I was, I'm always partial to Captain Hook's fish and chips, and I can tell you, so are the boys at IBM. Jimmy, how many did you say watched Colorado and Colorado State? From Pat Forty, nine point three million watched Colorado, Colorado State. That is three for every time that they referred to him as Coach Prime. <laughs> he here was my thing. 
They've also sold out every home game for the first time this in program history for Nicole Arbrock of the My Athletic. point was simply this. Of the 9.3 million who were watching that game, one would assume that there were some what we call transcendent or passerby audience. People changing the channels, whatever, that are not – one would assume that most people that follow football know that Deion Sanders is the head coach of Colorado, right? Yeah. But there may be some – who are just, they've gotten back from dinner, they're doing whatever, they're flipping the channels, and they're like, oh, this is a close game, and that crowd looks really exciting, and they're watching it for a second. And I know this sounds crazy, but I'm, t- I'm not talking about the sports audience. The goal in audience engagement, oftentimes, is to get the non-diehard audience that you wouldn't normally have. And when you are referencing, if you... It's it's in your best interest to occasionally reference Deion Sanders for the sure it might only be ten percent of the population that doesn't realize that Deion Sanders is the coach at Colorado, but by saying Coach Prime, Coach Prime, Coach Prime, Coach Prime, there is a chance that some of those people are like I don't know who they're talking about, and that's the only way they ever referenced him. It drove me absolutely bonkers. But then again, maybe I'm just old. Um. Transitioning back into the Colts, joining us now on the hotline, he is, of course, with CBS4 and WXIN Fox 59, the Dean of Sports Writers when it comes to Colts coverage, Mike Chappell. And Mike, I'll begin with this. Um, Is there anything more that we know about the health status of the Colts that we did not know at the beginning of the day? No. No, I mean, we're... I assume you're talking about the quarterback, and, and I would hope people remember that Ryan Kelly Correct. had a concussion as well. So, Correct. You know, oh, by the way, so did your All Pro Center or your Pro Bowl Center. But no, we're not. And we're, we're not going to know. We're all, you know, we're going to answer questions, and yeah, he's in protocol. We won't know until, like, we could know early if he's not going through the protocol, you know, properly and not properly, but in in, in a quick order. We're not going to know until Friday or Saturday because that that's what the, the process – it's five steps. You have to do this. You have to do that. Then you have to – oh, by the way, then you have to have the team medical guys and an independent neurologist pass you. So this is this is going to linger all week because concussions do that. And it, it makes it uncomfortable, I guess, because you don't know. But, you know, one side thing is the Ravens don't know either. And this is not like – to preparing for the same quarterback. So, uh, but no, we're not going to know. And, you know, the, the concussions are things that they, they take time. And as everybody says, you know, they're like rear ends. Everybody's got a different one. So uh, we'll see how this thing goes. Chap, because we don't have those answers, all we can really do is speculate. So I'll, I'll throw you a speculation question that I had Jake answer earlier. If Anthony Richardson clears protocol, but Ryan Kelly does not, is there hesitancy to throw him out there against Baltimore's defense, given the importance that the center position provides to an offensive line that already has question marks coming into the year? Well, I would say no, because what happens if Ryan Kelly's concussion lingers for two weeks, three weeks? He had this, and I wish I had my notes in front of me. I mentioned the story yesterday that he had a concussion several years ago, and he missed five games and ended up going on IR. There may have been co- contributing factors. No, you, I, I don't see how. What, what does that say to your backup players? Hey, you know, we think you're worthy on being on the roster, but we're not putting our, you know, future behind you. No, uh, the, the bigger question might be, 
let's say that, that that we don't know until Thursday or Friday or Saturday, even Saturday, and and Minshew has taken most of the reps. Well, then if if Richardson clears, do you play him? Do you start him? I would say yes. I mean, I would he, think also, right? If he's cleared, he's yeah. going to play, right? Yeah. Right. That, that's my. That's that's what I say. You know, well, he, he missed. You know, I remember several years ago when when Jacoby Brissett was a starter, and he, he banged up his knee, sprained his knee at Pittsburgh, and he was questionable all week. So Brian Hoyer took all the snaps with ones, and if they got they or, or I mean Brissett took all the snaps with the ones. And when it came to Friday, they Frank said, "Well, we can't, we can't play Jacoby." So they put Hoyer out there against Miami, and he was awful because he never practiced. So, but but I think in this case, Richardson would be able to do that, and I think you would do that. And if you have concerns that you know the backup center is not as good as a starting center, which he's not because he's a backup, then you then you do things in the game plan to protect him, but. It would send such a bad – I know what you're saying, but it would send such a bad signal. And if you do that, then, again, what if Kelly's out for a couple of weeks? So, no, I, I think if Richardson's ready, I think he plays. I just do. Mike, one of the things to me – and I wanted you to elaborate on this and give it perspective, I guess, because you would have a, a pretty broad perspective on it. I don't want to belabor the point. I've talked about it a lot. Gardner Minshew – is a guy that has started in the NFL, had success in the NFL, quite frankly. And he comes here because of Shane Steichen, and I think he probably knew the reality that there was going to be a young quarterback starting. I don't know that he knew that the keys were going to be handed over this early. But I just think he's been the consummate professional all the way to when Richardson is playing well early and they show the sideline shot. I mentioned it yesterday. All three of those guys are sitting there smiling and enjoying the moment, including Minshew. And then his number's called and he's ready to go. And he goes out there and plays well. Would you agree with me, and and, and if you could elaborate for our listeners, on kind of the rarity of that in the NFL in having a a veteran backup that is willing to so readily accept and absorb that kind of a situation? Yeah, I think it really takes a kind of unique player where you want to be the starter. I don't want a backup who says, you know, this is a pretty good gig. I'll, I'll run the scout team, and hey, if I have to play a little bit, I will. And they've had a few of those guys in here. I, I just know they have. But to have a guy who, who has started, he started, what is it, 24 games, has won some games and been in bad situations. But but he understood, when he came here, he, he I'll just read one thing. To me, I think he knew that the rookie was going to get the keys. I just, if, had it been one of the other two guys, Will Levis, I don't know. But I think he came here knowing that that he was more than likely going to be the backup to somebody. Remember, let's remember, he was signed before they drafted. He didn't know who it was going to be, but I think he knew it would be somebody. But I still think it takes a a, a different a different guy to say, you know, I I know I can start. I've won games. I want to start, but I understand my situation, and to accept that and and to be supportive. Maybe he goes home to his girlfriend or wife and says, you know. I'm really getting screwed here, and I'm and I'm not saying Minshew is doing that at all, but but I can imagine that somebody at any position says that. But when the time comes, you step up and play. There was a and I can't remember his name, Buffalo, and, and he he didn't prepare all week, and 
Then he got thrown in the game like early. And I'm not going to mention the name because I'll, I'll, I'll forget who it was. And if you're not careful, that's who you are. You go out there and, and you look like you never opened your playbook. You look like you didn't pay attention. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to over oversell Minshew's position, but it does take a special player when you've, you've proven you can do it. And they give it to a rookie who started 13 games in college, and you've done all you can to help him. But at the same time, knowing well, – and with Richardson, you almost kind of know you've got to be ready. For, for, for the next play because of the way that this kid plays, he's going to get, you know, hit and sometimes unnecessarily. So I, I, I really, I, I like the way Minshew's approached it. And, and, and if he, you know, slams doors at home when he goes home because he thinks he should start or whatever, that's okay. But when he's here, everything we've seen is, is, is he's, he's got Richardson's back and yet he's going to be ready when his time comes. And that's what you have to have in a backup. Mike, one of the players on Sunday, and and I don't pretend to be an expert enough to be correct in this, so it's entirely possible that this player's impact was not statistical, but rather that they were funneling players elsewhere and, and doing their job in minimizing the way offenses were running against them. So maybe I'm totally inaccurate by judging based on a box score. But I will admit to you, Mike, that about midway through the second quarter on Sunday, I actually looked at the box score because I thought, I can't remember, was Shaquille, Leonard, was Shaquille Leonard playing in this game or not? And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh yeah, he is out there. And yeah, I think he, he ended with... tackles, I think. Yeah. And at that point he had two or three maybe. Um, right. Is his impact non-statistical or am I correct in saying that we have yet to really see him get going? We've yet to really see him get going. Let's keep in mind that he's played really... In my mind, he's played two games since 2021. Last year, he he tried his ass off. He did, and it, he just wasn't ready. You know, the, the the surgery didn't didn't work, and then he comes back and isn't quite right, and then he gets blown up with remember with Sire Franklin and the concussion, broken nose. So, I'm I just I, I almost ruled out last year. So we've seen a guy that is just getting back. So yeah, I understand what you're saying, and. I think it's going to be Zaire Franklin piling up tackles, probably maybe breaking his own record, you know, that he set last year. Uh, but I, but I don't think that anyone should say, well, so this guy's done. Not not at all. I think it's, it's he's back two games. I thought he was more impactful the first game. I just do. I I, I noticed him more. I had that tackle for loss this week. I really didn't notice him much. But I I just think it's it, it's a byproduct of still coming back from a second back surgery and boy you've got to you've got to first get your your confidence back in your body which I think he has but then but then it's just getting the in, instincts back and you get that by playing so I understand what you're saying but I, I, I think we've yet to see the best we, maybe we don't see the best of him this year which would be disappointing to a lot of people including myself but I still think he's a big part of this defense and it's just it's just going to be difficult not seeing what we saw prior to the back issue cropping up. But I, 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 I'm encouraged, but it's just going to be, like I say, hard not seeing this guy being who we've seen him be. And, Mike, if, if Shaquille Leonard does not return to that form, and then you also throw in Quentin Nelson, 
it would be fair, it would be probably, and I would imagine maybe if it hasn't already started, it would, that people will start to question some of the contracts and extensions given by Chris Ballard and that they overpaid at a couple of positions that, in my opinion, are not as important in today's NFL. And yet, should we not also give him credit for the fact that it's going to look like, I think, a steal the contracts that they have Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed under right now because those guys were extended at not overly expensive prices. And, Mike, I think they look like they're going to be really, really, really good players for the next couple of years and critical pieces for them, obviously. And they already are, really. But Speed in particular, I was impressed by his continued evolution. What say you? Yeah, and, and right now he's he's probably more, more capable of making those splice plays than, than Shaq is. Uh, ideally, you'd like to have Shaq back doing his stuff, and then EJ working in there. But they, they've been trying to get EJ on the on the field for the last couple of years. But you're right. No, this is this is all about contracts. You know, people bitch have known about Luke Rhodes's extension and Matt Gay's contract. You know, they're special teams players, and they make you know, relatively speaking, not very much. But but when you do get when you hit on those late round picks. And Zaire just really, if I'm not mistaken, had the one year as a starter on defense when when they re-upped him, and 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 then EJ sort of the sort of the same way. You're, you're you're giving them decent money, decent guarantees, but not not the Braden Smith and Q and and Check. That, that's what you need. You've got to hit on those guys because you're, you're gonna you're gonna pay. They were gonna pay Quentin. They just were. You know, Rick Venturi and I were out in front about you just don't take a guard at six. Uh, you know, just because that's I, I, I'm not built that way. I don't I don't believe that way. But then when you did, he even exceeded your expectations at six. So of course you're going to resign him. And you know you can well, you can find ways to do things with the cap. You can you you can you can make it sing if you need to and. And, and when you get the rookie, when you get the quarterback on a rookie contract, it really gives you flexibility. But no, it, you, but you've got to hit on those those mid level, in this case, mid level late late round picks, because generally that that second contract's not going to be the monster contract. So yeah, I, th- th- those were those were good signings. They really were, and those th- those will be staples in his defense for a couple of years. And, and if they keep playing well. You re-sign him again. Now it'll cost you more. Is Zaire Franklin keeps doing this, and then on top of that, they're just they're good locker room guys. Sometimes that's overblown. Here it's not. They, they are really good guys to have around. And from a media point of view, let's keep Zaire here because he is a great quote. He 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 is thoughtful. He understands we've got jobs to do. He. He, he, but but he gives you insight, and, he, and he's a very willing guy. And he's, you know, oh by the way, he's great in the community, which is that's the total package. But like you said, you got him on a good contract for the next couple of years, which is you know the full package. The dean Mike Chapel, Fox News Nine and CBS Four, covers the Colts, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Chap, when Saquon Barkley hurt his ankle, and it was reported that he hurt the ankle and might miss a couple of weeks on Sunday, I thought to myself, that's what Jonathan Taylor is fighting for. Yes. Then Nick Chubb gets hurt last yes. night and is done for the season, and it's re-amplified to me. That's what Jonathan Taylor is fighting for. How are the ripple effects, if at all, going to be present from those two injuries and these negotiations from Taylor's perspective, but also league-wide, if maybe Jake brought this up earlier, maybe the Browns come calling now because they view themselves still as a team that 
is a contending team and they need to fill the hole at running back. Maybe they go get Cream Hunt since he's been there and yeah. you know, it's done cheaper. But but yeah, it, I, it's, it's not going to impact the Colts' stance at all. But I, I don't think. But I think it would, like you mentioned, it might make JT dig his heels in. I'm not sure how much deeper he can dig them, really, because I think they're dug in pretty good. But no, that it's funny. I, I I posted it on social media yesterday about that, and boy, I got some hate people by saying, "Well, this is why you don't do that." This is you know, <laughs> these guys are overpaid. You know, and it's, it's that guy on on South Beach Grove where he he's bitching at the, at the cost of athletes. Well, the bitch when you go see, you know, you know Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> it, it's it's all relative. Let's not mix. Hey. Policemen, firemen, and teachers need to be at the top of the pay scale. Can we say that and forget about it? But in NFL terms, running backs are, are not they're, – they're getting the short shrift. They are. They're the most – outside of quarterback, they're, they're the most overworked position, and they take the most abuse, and they get in those piles, and people bend them the ways you shouldn't be bent. But then that's, that's, then that's a reason the teams don't want to – invest in them so it, it's really a bad situation i feel for jt i would have given him an extension i would have as long as the numbers as long as they were nick chubb numbers but now oh go ahead mike well but but again so it, it's just a bad he, he's at the worst possible time in his career and in the nfl because again there is a devaluation although i think from the Colts' point of view i don't think that should have been the over been any factor at all but here's where he is, and in about two weeks, we'll see what's uh, what's going to happen. Who blinks? I like to think that South Beach Grove is a lot like South Beach, Florida. Pretty similar, right? Yeah, just except for the heat and the and, and the bars and the I don't know the <laughs> ocean or the beach and all that. So, but yeah, it's it's, it's got South in it. <laughs> That's right. Similar similar lifestyles, the whole deal. Yeah, chap. Last time you were on, um, we were talking about a Beatles song. So I'm going to stick with a Beatles th- song theme. I almost said thong. Okay. A Beatles song theme. Uh, Revolution number nine starts out with, of course, just you know number nine number nine and it just repeats over and over and over and then all of a sudden the music starts and the tune changes the jonathan taylor story feels repetitive it's just the same thing over and over yes but is the tune about to change well it has to i mean in in two weeks something has to happen do you believe that has your tune changed in your thought on the fact that he will not be here or do you think there's the possibility now that he is actually playing games for them i i keep going back and forth and i I'm kind of in this camp now that they trade him. It it seems like this is a irreparable, you know, divorce coming. It it just seems like it, and there will be a market for him. But who's gonna who's gonna give what you know whatever happened, whatever didn't happen prior the prior deadline? He puts that he put that video out there last week showing that he's out there running around and. So, yeah, but something has to happen in two weeks. He's got to pass his physical for somebody, whether for the Colts or for a trade, and then he either plays or he does. If he passes his physical and then refuses to play, then we have problems. I mean, then we have an Eric Dickerson situation. I was going to say, it feels like the biggest chasm between player and management since who? Yeah, Dickerson. Uh, really, I, I I can't even know what will be number two. I really don't. I mean, would it be? You know, it, it was interesting because a couple of weeks ago we had Jeff George on, 
and, and I thought, and I appreciated Jeff's candor, and he was pretty transparent in saying, look, you know, I, I, I erred in the way that I handled situations, and I wish Jonathan Taylor would, would learn from people's past mistakes, and Jeff kind of basically said, including himself, but I don't remember yeah. Jeff's being to this level, do you? No, no, but they, they, they were, they were, they kept going, drifting further and further apart until they finally traded him. And Teddy got pretty good return on the trade. They may have got more from Atlanta than they got. Yeah, it turned into Marvin Harrison, right? Yeah, really. Because Jeff got Atlanta good. into the playoffs, and so they got yeah. a first round pick. Yeah. So yeah, that and it's funny. I still got the Sports Illustrated cover of Dickerson. It says Happy Camper. Oh yeah, one Happy yeah. Camper. Yep. Yeah, that not so much. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I it, it, this is going to come down. I really believe, and I've said this before, that. Taylor has to be the one to blink. He does. And that's going to require him sort of sort of saying, listen, I'm, I've made my stance totally clear. I, I'm underpaid, blah, blah. But okay, I'm going to come in and play. And I, I hope he's got that in him to do because the idea of him taking this to, you know, as I've said before, Defcon won by – passing a physical and then not playing or whatever or, or or not giving everything, which I don't think he would do. He's not built like that. And I tell you, the locker room can sniff that out real quick. So in, in two weeks, something's got to happen. Uh, I don't know how the team changes its stance other than to throw some money at him like, you know, the Raiders did with Jacobs and the Giants did with Barkley for that one year. But any new deal, even a one year, even at the fat in this year, Taylor's going to say that's fine. Just don't you? You just can't use the franchise tag on me next year. Well, they're not going to do that. Why? Why would they give up their biggest bargaining chip with Jonathan Taylor? I don't. I don't think they do that. That's why I say it. Just it, it, as much as I'm a player's guy, and I am. In this case, I just don't know how this is resolved unless he steps forward. And that's why I say I'm not sure how much further he can get his heels dug in. But at some point, something's got to change because this I just can't see the Colts paying, leaving him on pup all year and paying him. I, I, that, that makes no sense because then we're back here next year. Same thing. So, the, you know, the thing that makes the most sense is for JT to sort of come in and say, this is why I did this and this, that, and the other. Now I'm going to ball out for the next – 13 games, and then we'll see. It's going to be really interesting in two weeks. Mike, last question for me, and I appreciate the time. Mike Chappell, sure. our guest from CBS4 and Fox 59. Um, limited body of work because of the injury, obviously, and the Colts were able to take advantage of Anthony Richardson's legs, but eventually defenses are going to figure out how to stop that, not stop the run, but certainly key in on it. Have we seen enough to say whether or not we feel there is improvement or there can be consistency in the passing game with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I think so. He was six for ten. He was doing all right, and and, uh, and that was early. It was a, what a half a quarter. So yeah, I think so. And and one thing that's funny is, and, and I mentioned this when he got hurt on that second touchdown. You know, they say you know, and he, he's a young player. He's going to learn how to protect himself. And one of those ways, in my mind, is don't downshift at the five yard line. If he if he runs through the end zone or the goal line, maybe that safety doesn't hit him because he's a, he's a yard into the end zone. He probably doesn't. So yeah, but but I, I do think we've seen enough 
And so, I, I, again, I think he, he just offers you so much. And the more that, and the better they can run the ball, Zach Moss ran a pretty well gone well. Uh, I, I think we're going to see this kid grow and grow, and we're going to see the most growth, obviously, in the pass game because those, those two runs he had, he shouldn't have been touched on either one of them. Because, again, I think if he finishes that 15-yard touchdown, they don't touch him. And that, that safety kind of backs off and doesn't hit him in the end zone. So I'm very encouraged by what I've seen. Just kind of need need, to, need him to, to avoid hits that he can avoid. And there are hits you can avoid on the field that some quarterbacks still don't do. Chap, enjoy South Beach Grove. That's right. our best. And we'll, right. we'll talk at you next week. I'm going to get my folding chair and go down to the beach right now. We'll <laughs> Hell yeah. Sunscreen. Later. <laughs> Do you know the connection between Indianapolis and uh, South Beach? One of my favorite anecdotes? No, I don't. Victor uh, Oladipo. Excellent guess. Well That's played, great. Eddie. Victor Oladipo, who um, spent his time on South Beach for an extra day after he missed his flight to come back and be with his team during the playoffs. Cody Zeller? Cody Zeller, another good guess. Um, Cody Zeller last year, the highest drafted member of the Miami Heat, by the way. Or no, uh, was Oladipo. No, which one went higher, Oladipo or Zeller? I believe it was Zeller. Yeah, no, Oladipo went two and Zeller went yes, four, right? That's right. Yes, that's yeah. So, yeah. Z- sorry, Zeller was the highest uh, on the active roster deep in the playoffs. That's what it was. Uh, no, Carl Fisher, who founded the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, mm. um, a lot of the money that he made off the Indianapolis Motor Speedway once he eventually uh, sold off the speedway, he invested that money into building a series of hotels and restaurants along a, a beach in Florida known as South Beach. And when he invested all of his money into it, and then just before all of it was to open, it was wiped out by a hurricane. Dang. But South Beach was the initial vision of the visionary Carl Fisher, who founded and built the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There's your little trivia question for you. Uh, We're a little bit over. We'll take a break. Eddie makes us walk the plank when they go over. It is talk like a pirate day here. It's Quarry and Company, 93.5107.5. Jimmy, you love the pirate talk. Come on. I really thought that setup was going to be a pirate joke, I'll be honest. The fact (laughs) that it was actually a historical fact, I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. Appreciate (laughs) it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tommy used to work on the docks. Union went on strike, so he found a new job at Quarry and Company, as a matter of fact. Thank you to the rest of you who have joined the company. Again, my goal, if I'm out in public and you see me, you got to come up and say, oh, I'm part of the company. <laughs> Unless you don't like the show, in which case, I guess you're on strike, right? Uh, by the way, if you're looking for a new company legitimately to work for, you can join us, the fan. That is tomorrow from 10 until 4 o'clock tomorrow for the Radio 1 and Martin University Career Fair, supported by Quest Diagnostics. And thank you to Quest Diagnostics for their support in this. You can get your foot in the door, have your resume reviewed by HR professionals, and you can get a free headshot. This is all tomorrow from 10 until 4 at Martin University. For more details, you can head to 1075thefan.com. But that is excellent because two of the real intimidating things, I think, for a lot of people – during job searches. Job searches in general are uncomfortable, but 
you know, having to know what your resume, whether or not you've got it right, how to limit it down to like, say, a single page or whatever else or uh, all of that. And then, of course, getting a headshot to be able to distribute to people all really important stuff. So appreciate all of that tomorrow, 10 until 4 at Martin University. Would love to be able to help you out for that. You know that song, by the way, Living on a, um, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi? Yeah. Our sister station, um, where you hear JMV's Takeover every Saturday night, B105.7, they do or subscribe to or whatever. I hope I'm not telling tales out of school here. Uh, like song research where you know people, you know when you get like a stream service and you can do thumb up, thumb down, that kind of thing? Yeah. They do a research of like a thousand different songs. And for like the second or third year in a row, that song has the highest approval rate. I was never a huge fan of that song, to be honest with you, but for what it's worth. I mean, it's a classic. It's one of those songs that you think about where if you have a, a, a massive group of people. For sure. Everyone knows every word. Yes. Yeah. Well, so is Don't Stop Believing, but yet you thought that was Aerosmith, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Eddie. Um, by the way- No problem, I, Jimmy. Did I tell you guys this already, that I've been up for almost 13 hours today so far? That's unusual for me. How? So I go to bed uh, usually – what time do you go to bed at night, Jimmy? One. Eddie? Around the same time. Okay. Oh, well, that's when I turn the TV off. Separately, Mike, yeah. right? Yes. Um, it's when I text Eddie goodnight, usually, <laughs> right around that. Right. Yeah. Sweet dreams. So I have always been, for whatever – and I don't know how this is. I mean, when I, went to, when I was in high school and school started at – first bell was at 7 a.m., I mean, I would go to bed at like 2 o'clock. I mean, I'd go to bed earlier than that, but just I, I couldn't fall asleep, right? I've just always been nocturnal. And I've always, to this day, professionally, I mean, even when I was doing the morning show, I would try. I mean, I tried my hardest, but I would normally fall asleep sometime 2, 2.30 and get up at 6, basically. Um, I have enjoyed and are very appreciative of, especially from a health standpoint, truth be told, that I'm able to get more sleep now. But I got up this morning, I set the alarm for 4 a.m. Because 4 a.m. is 10 a.m. in Amsterdam. Six-hour time difference, right? You weren't trying to pre-order the new iPhone? No. Okay. Oh, is, that, is, that, is there a new one out? No, I've never week, understood, let, me, let me say this. I've never understood that. Yeah. Why do people do this? Yeah. Like the new iPhone comes out and you got all these people that like wrap around a building and pay like $1,800 for a phone that if you no, wait no. six months is going to be 400 bucks. Well, that part I get, but like the wrap around the building thing is, but, well, but you do it online. You get it done online now. Right. And, like, and why do you need to buy the newest one though? I don't know. Like, what, what like, I mean, like in the last time I cared about like having the, the newest shiny cool thing, I was in like sixth grade. Yeah. It was a Coca-Cola shirt. Yeah. Those people are awful. Definitely not me going to pick mine up at the Apple Store on Friday. <laughs> so you ordered it. I did. Yeah. How much was it? Um, we talking so about twelve hundred, roughly. But I trade in, so after credit, it'll be five hundred bucks. And, and what is this one going to do that your old one doesn't? Yeah, about the same. I'm a brand guy. I fall into the pitfalls. It is what or the pitfalls. It is what it's it is. It's all about the appearance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Usually I'm every two years, but this time I just did it because... You know, he's the president, Jake, so he's got to look the part. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Do you have two phones? Are you that guy? <laughs> so I got up at four in the morning because that's 10 o'clock in the morning in Amsterdam. And again, for people... And I totally understand it's the middle of football season. Um, and I'm appreciative of them allowing me to do this. But obviously, 
I had two things set in in place under the assumption that I was still doing the morning show and one of the this vacation was one of those but but the time slots if you knew that the airfare or the excuse me the the time of my flights and everything else the days that I'm missing are a little bit changed because of the day shifts the the, the time shifts but I have always guys my entire life watched Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune before anybody else I'd never watched Wheel of Fortune though oh man it's okay it's okay right but Jeopardy for sure no Pat and Vanna um, for you no that that mm-hmm. Pat Sajak's smarmy I'm not Ed Grimm that I liked though, <laughs> but when I was in the eighth grade, we read the Diary of a Young Girl is what it was called, but it was the Diary of Anne Frank, and I became, I was fascinated by it at that age because I you know I was basically the age that Anne Frank was when she wrote the Diary of Anne Frank, and the historical aspect of it, the tragic nature of it, all of it fascinated me, and I remember for that entire year that we studied and read that book like looking in buildings and looking at places and thinking like and wondering what it would be like and where would you hide and like how would that be and like I couldn't grasp it um but there was you know there's a lot to learn from that book and so one of I have like five places in the world that are bucket list places for me and I was I've been able and fortunately lucky enough redundant to have gone to a few of them recently but I've really accelerated my like quest to do those things so when i go to amsterdam which i'm doing at the end of october the number one thing that i wanted to see was the anne frank house because you can go through where they lived the attic where the anne frank where her family lived and to do that though they now you can only buy tickets online you cannot buy them from a third party you can't buy them from a tour group nowhere you have to buy them online and I'm saying this in case anybody is going to Amsterdam because I think it's a place where a lot of people go. Um, it's Eddie's next venture. Probably. That's right. After Colorado, right? Yep. You did the introductory <laughs> trip. So, but when you buy the... Maybe buy, Albuquerque. I don't know. What's that? Maybe Albuquerque. Albuquerque I don't know. Cool. It's my 50th state was New Mexico. When you buy the tickets, you have to do so six weeks in advance. And so every, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Amsterdam time, they release the tickets for six weeks later but they sell out in the peak season they sell out I, I was you know i read this between 15 and 18 minutes after they go on sale for for the week so today the six weeks from now tickets went on sale and so i got up at four in the morning in order to buy them to secure them because i didn't want to wait until like seven or eight in case they sold out for that because you can only have like 10 or 15 people inside at a time because it is so small and that gives you perspective as to where they hid and lived, the fact that they have to basically ration off the tickets and be so selective about the people that go in. And you have a designated time, like, you know, you, you buy it, you can buy it. There are obviously multiple times throughout the day. But I got up this morning, and this is how weird I am. And Jimmy, you tell me, you critique if you think this is neurotic. I got online, I bought the two tickets. And then, once I bought the two tickets and had them secured, I went back online and bought tickets for two days after that to give myself the pad in case something happens where we don't make it there in time for the first day. Travel issues, flight delay, 
something happens at the hotel, whatever it might be, to have a backup in case. Since we've already shared my iPhone cost conversation, I assume you don't mind me asking this. What was the cost significant to do that? Um, the tickets themselves, I paid for the additional like English 30-minute preview tour of it. Sure. $17 each. Oh, no, you're not neurotic for doing that. Yeah, have a safety net. Correct. Because you don't know yeah, when you're no, going to be back there. It yeah, yeah, like they're $200. No, no. Yeah. I mean, even I mean, then, though, it's, it's, no, it's, it's a museum. It's, it's, it so makes sense. Sure. Uh, that's a word I've always said cor- incorrectly. It's a museum. Yes. I always said museum, but it's museum. I've never said... Naivete is another word I used to always... Naivety. Theater. I, I've always said naivete, and it's naivety. <laughs> but I still say naivete. Theater? Theater. What do you say on that? <laughs> no, about, I say theater. To be clear, this? How I about say this? theater. Seattle's in what state? Washington. Eddie? Washington. Uh, <laughs> you were looking, you you were looking for it. You, yeah, were looking Washington. For it. <laughs> you know what? I can tell you. Washington. You're from south of Washington Street, aren't you? <laughs> no, my, uh, my grandparents are from Washington, Indiana, and that's... Are they really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's something they say. How often do you go to Washington, Indiana? Never. <laughs> they live in Mooresville now. Sk- oh, okay. I, I said say, they were from. He didn't skip a beat. <laughs> you never, you never go down. You, you've never gone down to see their roots. No. Never had any interest. I didn't even know. I don't even know where Washington, Indiana is in terms of the region of the state. No, wait a minute. Your grandparents are from there. Correct. Are either of your parents from there? No. But you've like you've never at any point in your life you've never looked at a state map of Indiana and thought to yourself, I wonder where Washington is, where Grandma and Grandpa lived. Nope. Is this making the show notes? No, I'm 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 drawing the state of Indiana. Oh, I thought you were. I thought thought you were where Washington, Indiana is. I thought you were highlighting Eddie hates grandparents, and you were just like doesn't believe in family history, and you're just making (laughs) a note of it. If you had to guess, where would you say Washington is? Well, it's on the West Coast, first of all. Correct. Washington, Indiana would be where? Uh, I'm going to assume it's like southern Indiana, but I am i don't know which direction if it's going to be the east or west. The star would be Indianapolis, right? So it's close to the boot? Yeah. It's, it's it's 45 minutes. J&B would know better than I, but it's 45 minutes or so north of Evansville mm. if you were coming up. Mm. See, uh, on my That's little, an exceptional Indiana. Isn't that good? Yes. It is very good. I used good. to draw states. Show, in, give, give me another town. I'll put it right here on the map. Just get, just name a town. Show it to Kokomo. that camera so they can see it. Kokomo? Kokomo. Oh, that's K-Town's easy. I know, but I, you said name a town. I gave you a town. Uh, matter of fact, instead of Kokomo, I'm just writing here HH as hip hugger. Mishawaka. Mishawaka. Also <laughs> easy to do. Mishawaka right up here north, just south of the Michigan border. See? I could do this all day. If anything else, I am a master of Indiana geography. It is the only skill set that I have, and in my penmanship, and your in your accents, you thought yeah, my accents, you thought right. sound access was being for you. Here's the next evolution of this show: a telestrator for the YouTube chat. Oh, that Jake's telestrator. Oh man, can you imagine? We'd be going places. I'd be like John Madden. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day will take the Houston Astros on the money line over the Baltimore Orioles. Give me the Seattle Mariners lay one and a half on the run line as they're in Oakland against the Athletics. I'll take the Reds on the money line against the Minnesota Twins. And Jake, just for you, 
Give me the Pirates plus one and a half on the run line gimme of against all. the Chicago Cubs. I mean, the, the the biggest certainty of the day, number one, was that you would take Pittsburgh, <laughs> and number two would be that I would be talking like a pirate. Several people have asked me why on Talk Like a Pirate Day I wasn't talking like a pirate. I'm like, where have you been, right? These people are late arrivals. Can't believe you did it, Jimmy. Come back for the full show. The Pirates pick? I know, but I had to, you know? No, 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 no. Does no. East Carolina play today? I don't think there's any college football today, so I'll say no. How about Tampa Bay? Nope. No Tuesday yet. The NFL is yet to have their conquest there. Man. I mean, those would be the, the, the easiest. It, wasn't there a... Um, Coast... Uh, that's Thursday. Never mind. No football today. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, what do you got planned for the evening? Anything exciting? Anything special? No. Not a ton. The rare Monday soccer game is usually Tuesday, so Tuesday's Sitting off. around waiting for your iPhone? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Try to- Jimmy, honestly. So, t- so tell me this. It doesn't make sense. There's no rationale for it. It's not. I but am I correct in saying this? In, in six months, that phone's going to be 40% the price you paid for it. No. Not usually. Usually you don't see those significant drop-offs until the new year. Like Not the new year, but like next year around this time, the model I got will be significantly okay. cheaper. Uh, we've probably gone over this. Maybe we've already recycled back to similar topics. Yes. But my biggest question of all, I've never understood. I think we had this conversation off air. You have an Apple Watch. Correct. Which, by the way, I don't up. I've had this for like four or five years. I don't upgrade that very so, often. But, but what does the Apple Watch do that your phone does not? So, I mean, I know it's like it's really difficult to reach, like, <laughs> right in, in your pocket. How right? I have I've always viewed it is from like an etiquette standpoint. Like, I don't have to pull my phone out on the live stream and be staring at it. I can just look at my watch real quick and it's then be back to you. It's equally as rude, though. Well then, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not. I, I can't please everybody. In today's culture, it doesn't. I, I think it's you know, it's. I get it. But people that are like, well, with the with the Apple Watch, when I'm in conversation and I get a text, and I'm like, I always get worried. People, people think I'm people looking at the wearing time an Apple to see when I get, get out of the conversation. Look at it. Are they're not like they're not fooling anybody? Everybody knows, like, oh, that guy's looking at his watch. I, mean, I, I get always it. get self conscious and think that somebody might think I'm looking at the time. Like, oh man, when is this guy going to stop talking? Which isn't it. I'm just looking at a notification. I think most people with an Apple Watch know that. Now I have with my watches. I mean, trust me, I'm looking right now, wondering when. You know, <laughs> sure. But I, you know, I can't get on you about the Apple Watch thing because when it comes to watches, that's a weakness for me. Because that's the one thing that I, well, one of three things, as you know, that I collect. Sure. Is I, I do love a wristwatch. I, I guess. That and cologne. Cologne is the second. Yeah. yeah. Shoes would be another area where I have a weakness, right? Yep. Now, what about, what's your weirdest collection? Like, if you, okay, I'll put it to you this way. If your, your wife, if you said to your wife, like what's the if your wife was allowed to pick one thing that she wish you would spend quit spending money on that you spend it on that, that irritates her it would be what probably what I'm doing right now upgrading an gambling? iPhone unnecessarily oh what was that Eddie I said gambling no 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 I've set parameters how about for you Eddie oh your significant other would would say you need to cool out on spending money on what oh no it's jerseys for me it's jerseys Honestly, I, I went on a big jersey spree you're not Scotty Johnson right no. Not Honestly, quite that level. I'm very savvy with my money. I don't really waste it, and yeah, I don't really spend it. Th- th- this from I the guy. Who, this it. from the guy who earlier was breaking down whack volleyball for gambling purposes. Right? It's like, well, you know, Texas San Antonio's on the road against uh, Utah Valley, and I mean, you know, they they went 16 sets in the overtime last week. I mean, come on. 
Eddie's made a fair amount of high stakes. Eddie wagers. knows of key injuries of, of liberos in, in the Mountain West. Yeah, sure. but I don't really waste my money on anything. Like that's the problem. I don't. It's all relative. I get it. I'm giving you a hard time. You want nothing frivolous, frivolous in Colorado? No. Okay. I came back with a shot glass for my sister, a shot glass do for our ha- collection. Do you ha- do you, so, you have, so you collect shot glasses. That's not yeah. an expensive venture, no. but it's something. Well, that's something that both of us do. Well, but, but I'm not criticizing yeah. it. I'm just observing. What about the little spoons? You ever buy the little spoons on the road? No. Who buys the little spoons anymore? What are they using them for? Uh, that's what I want to know. Do the not Duggar know. family? Uh, other than that, anybody else buying the little spoons? I've never understood. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, 10 until 4, again, the career fair that's going to be taking place for Radio 1 at Martin University. Great chance for you. Quest Diagnostics, thanks for their support on it. If you want to come out, get your resume reviewed. They're going to have HR professionals there to do that. Free headshot as well. So great opportunity tomorrow, 10 until 4 at Martin. Uh, guys, we'll do it tomorrow, all right? John, John's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody.